Tell uh, Fish to grow a set and play Isabella again. What happened? Why'd they drop that one? I will say that. I'm going to say, hey guys, will you grow a set? Isabella! All I dream about you every now. listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we are releasing two episodes this week. Well, this is a tweener. Some would say a tweezer, but no, we'll call it counting. a tweener. This counts. This, this is an episode? episode? Absolutely. It's a tweener. Dude, we're going over the full Baker's Dozen, the historic 13 nights of fish at Madison Square Garden, the record-breaking, that's right, Billy Joel fans, the record is now owned by Fish, 13 nights. And Billy today made a comment about that. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, that's not real. You don't think that's real? No, the whole oh, thing. Gosh. Our guest will clear all those sorts of things up because we are very, very, very blessed because if you, if you we're going to review a run like this. You would need someone that's a aficionado, if you You want to have one of the best. Yeah. And we've got an. Well, I, let me introduce him. I want to do the. No, I want to. But it's such a. It's a yeah, thing. Yeah, but I've, I've seen more fish shows than you. Recently, you have. But come yeah. on, I uh, saw him in clubs, dude. Okay. The Paradise. All right, fine. You, you, Somerville you, Theater. You got Matthews me on Arena. the club. You got me on the club level. Hey, Scotty B. Hey guys. Well, quite an introduction like that. We should just uh, drop the mic and end the episode right there. <laughs> How are you doing? This is I'm Scott Bernstein. That. I'm doing excellent, all things considered. Uh, it was definitely an extremely eventful three weeks and a marathon. I, I felt like I went on jam cruise three times in a row. Um, <laughs> but 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 uh, you're very feeling very blessed, feeling very happy. Took a day off to be with my uh, family yesterday, and uh, you still have a family. But, <laughs> slowly but surely, getting back into the swing of things. Um, at the at my apologies to fish fans. Um, what I'm about to say is very obvious to some of you, but our, our audience does extend beyond that. Scott Bernstein uh, is a brilliant, brilliant writer for Jambase, uh, the Yem blog, which is one of the premier that that and Fishnet are pretty much the main fish uh, websites. Uh, but he also has knowledge beyond. I, I've spoken before on the show. His Jam Cruise write ups are just stunning because that thing is just a party. And amidst the chaos, Scott, you know, uh, uh, calls these brilliant and exhaustive uh, um, you know wrap-ups of all the stuff that goes on which I- I'm telling you Scotty are you cloned because I'm on jam cruise <laughs> every year and I don't know how you see like you're at the right place at the right time all the time on jam cruise. Uh, I- I've-, I've just been very lucky with that and try to uh, plan it all accordingly but it's most of that is luck but uh i I just then i talk to people who are in the places where i'm not and just try to have a handle of of what all is going on but let me tell you that is very difficult on that boat now now jumping into the baker's dozen before we get into the baker's dozen my question for you is were you planning on going the whole time because i noticed a lot of posts of getting tickets and you know you like you, you did you plan to be there the whole time I did not. Um, I was expecting to go to six and was going to be content to uh, watch the rest on webcast. Right. For, for <laughs> fine. Fi- fi- it sounds so ridiculous now. And, yeah. Uh, Scott Bernstein needs to be at uh, any New York fish show, I would think. <laughs> 
and it's just uh, it, it, it's crazy. Uh, but I, immediately it became clear that these were no ordinary fish shows and that something special was happening. And before we jump in, um, I want to say thank you. Um, Fish, the band, has been very good to, about letting us use their music. But when I'm doing research, I don't bother them for that. So I, I rely on the audiences like Fish Tracks and NYC Taper. Thank you so much for your great, great audience recordings. Also, as always, Josh Thane will be editing and mixing. He's our engineer from Wonder Dog Sound Studio. Please check his stuff on WonderDogSoundStudio.com and JoshThaneProductions.com. And Thane is T-H-A-N-E. But listen, overall, before we get in, we're going to go show by show, folks. But Ben Ratliff of the New York Times wrote a brilliant, brilliant piece. And um, Trey also said something that dovetailed into this. And I wanted to get your response. Trey said, Are you talking inter- about the interview that was released today? Uh, no, I'm talking about the Scotty B interview from, I think it was around mid-April. Okay. Scotty gotcha. interviewed Trey. And there, there are two things said in these, the, the Ben Ratliff New York Times article, which was written immediately after Baker's does, and, and something Trey said to Scotty B in his interview. Ratliff said, you'd think this would have happened, this meaning the long run. They've only done five night runs, I think. You'd think this would have happened with fish already. Longer residencies suit improvisers. And then Trey told Scotty, Scotty, you already heard this, I apologize, but a big part of the reason that I'm so excited to do something like a 13-night residency in one venue is that staying in one place contributes to a looseness in the atmosphere that we may not have felt since Nectar's. That's a legendary club from their early days, back in the mid-'80s, which was for all intents and purposes a big, giant residency. So, Scotty, why has this not happened sooner? Well, I think a big part of it was Fish's management up until the point where they broke up in 2004. Um, in 2007, Relics did an interview with Page. This was right in the, the middle of tray of Fish breaking up. And they asked, what were some of the reasons why it happened? And Page said our management just would shoot down. We wanted to do creative things. We wanted to go outside of the box. And we'd come up with ideas like doing a baker's dozen of 13 shows at Dunkin' Donuts Arena in Providence and having themes for each night like Boston Cream in which we'd play Boston and Cream covers. And they just would tell us we're crazy and shoot us down. And we got sick of hearing that. And so Fish came back with new management in 2009. And it took them a little while to finally put their 20-year ploy into action. And um, I I think they're really going to like that. But that's A of that answer. B is that the the fan base is, is spread out just enough that I, I think they want it, there was still this feeling from them coming back in 2009 of wanting to give people in different parts of the country um, opportunities to see them. I think now we're at the point where people ha- a lot of people have had opportunities to see them and now they're more comfortable um, playing the, these longer residencies which hopefully become somewhat of the norm. I, I'd be surprised if we see something the likes of the Baker's Dozen again but uh, I I would hope that. Well, I have a thought. I have a thought. And and it dovetails on what you said on Twitter today, because uh, there's a thing about which the band has spoken for many years uh, here and there, and that's the Missing States tour. 
And we're also oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're also due for their big festival. So I could see them doing we are due for a festival. Doing the Missing States tour and then having the big festival, you know, somewhere on the East Coast at the end of it, and then maybe doing the big long runs every other year so that they have the year where they get to get out to the people and then they have the year where they get to get comfortable on one stage. I think that that sounds great. And I, you know, I was gonna when I was talking about the Missing States tour, I was I was thinking Missing States tour into festival so that you get a chance for anyone who wants to see them can they just have to travel there mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm ready for another festival uh that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a work-related reason of course <laughs> no but um i like uh, when they when they announced to the baker's dozen before my first instinct though was uh really like 13 like that's that's a, that's a lot to ask of your fan base to to go to new york city which is not cheap it's i mean it's not san francisco but it's not cheap. It's you know you're gonna go. Most people are gonna go for one stretch, one weekend. But I found that there's actually a lot of people that that you know commuted. They went for three, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, went home, came back the next weekend. Um, you know, people found a way to make it work. And then once we got once we got to the middle, once we once we got past the you know Donut Six, it was like obvious that this this is this is something not to miss. And those last shows just flared up. Yeah, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before, um, just how the demand <laughs> changed. And it really started on Sunday night, the first Sunday night of the run, July 23rd, when they finished um, the Red Velvet Night, which uh, was very special and, and played into the theme perhaps more than any other night. And right after the show, Fish sends out a tweet saying, the donut for Tuesday night is jam-filled. Oh, yeah. Ticket sold. Yeah. And that was the only time they did it that far in advance. You know who and else? You know who else was excited I, about that? S- sellers of psychedelic drugs in New York City. <laughs> if they can get past the uh, nitrous team out front, jeez, it's like the Super Bowl for them. Uh, you know, I mean, what did they? Do? I heard someone collected all the balloons out front of Madison Square Garden and made a bounce house. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised that the scourge of the scene. But you know what? It happens at a lot of concerts in New York City that go way beyond the jam. Oh, Britney Spears! But they use the balloons differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> well, uh, listen. Well, go ahead, Sam. No, no, I was gonna, I was gonna get to the. You're right, though. They did. They they released that 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 one early about the jam, and that and I that definitely built built a lot of. A lot of suspense, you know. But then today's article was interesting um, that came out of New York Times where Trey was talking about how they really didn't create set lists. And they had, obviously, I mean, you know, for years they've been working on different things, uh, ideas and, and uh, that they executed. But to, to really go in there. And they managed to do it all with only one repeat. Mm, was it really a repeat? Isn't it? Lo- was it closing? Lawn Boy what Reprise. What are you calling a repeat? Lawn Boy Reprise. I think they cl- finished it. a different song as Tweezer Reprise is a different song to Tweezer. It, it's a different it's, song that they did after Julius the fourth night, and then they did after uh, in, the middle, in the middle of the encore the last night. Was it a different key, Scotty? Do you know that? Because uh, Tweezer's uh, a different key. Tweezer it Reprise was more, is a, more completely finished. Uh, I, I, I think we're... You know, uh, I, I think it's repeatless for all intents and purposes. I, uh, I, I, w- I would fight over that point. Um, now, I think you should all ask all right. for your money back. That was a repeat. 
All right, so what we want, insideoutwtns at gmail.com. Was that a repeat? And what we want to know, though, is if not only if that was a repeat, but where you stand on festival sets. Do you count the festival as one show? Do you count the, if it's a three-set night? Is it one show? We want no, to know but honestly, I normally don't like internet polls, but I would be curious on the repeat one. I'd be curious on that. Can you repeat the question, then? But one last thing, and then we'll dive in, because I'm <laughs> yeah, sure people are waiting to go show to show. But um, I, I, as we've said before, I, I, most of my fish shows are back in the 80s and 90s. So while I do keep up with the band, the real scene is, is at the shows, right? So there'll be, there's certain disconnects, and those will probably come up here and there. I'll ask for Scotty to explain. And here's a first one, Scotty, okay? Okay. Why does it seem like a certain amount of fish fans have an immediate reticence toward a song if it was sourced from the... Trey Anastasio band when there's so much great material oh, in question. the band that came from Trey band why do I hear so many people complain when they start even before they hear the version in some cases I think it's because uh, they associate that more with the dad Rocky type originals of Trey um, I don't feel that's correct I think you have songs like Land of Nod and uh, of recent years and um, so, some other ones that that just aren't of that milieu um, but uh, and I also think it's because of uh, Trey shows in the last uh, five or six years have become lighter on improv than they once were. And um, I, I think, again, that's kind of the general thought in the fish scene. I saw uh, three Trey Anastasio band shows this year, and I was extremely impressed at all of them. But more for the arrangements and for Trey soloing, there wasn't full band improvisation. And when when Tab first started, there was a lot of full band improvisation. I know they played that show in Atlanta in I believe 2002, where they played a 45 minute Night Speaks the Woman or something like that. It was crazy. Just, I think uh, Trey so lost track of time or something, and the uh, yeah, no longer uh, lost longer. track of something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the government's working on that this week. But at any rate, all right. I think that's the disconnect, yes. Mm -hmm. Shall we go into night one? Did you have any sort of gathering before the first show? What what was the feeling walking into the the first night of something this historic? And were you going in early and getting the donuts at any of these? Everyone was nuts that night because it was coconut-themed. I didn't start until maybe the second weekend to start uh, really caring about the donuts and at that point i got in and you know what it wasn't just to get in to get donuts it was to enjoy it. walking around the, the that venue it felt like a, a, a show of this is your life i just ran into so many different people had so many wonderful conversations that i just wanted to take advantage of every minute i had and the fact that Madison Square Garden gave 50% off all food between 6.30 and 7.30 didn't uh, hurt my fat ass either. Um, it's the, gar- but, you know, the garden's being very welcoming. It's, it's very cool to see. It's the greatest arena in the world is being so welcoming mm-hmm. to fish fans. Well, what fish fans don't know is uh, Section 106, there's a, little, uh, there's a little cafe back there, free garden salads. Are you serious? <laughs> no, I'm not serious. Come on. <laughs> but but it was really cool that both the venue and even the city of new york with the mayor's office proclaiming sunday fish day they appreciated that there was a lot of fans flying in and coming in and uh fish was filling madison square garden on 13 nights where there's nothing going mm-hmm. on there's the sports teams are out of there 
And so, you know, coming into the first night, a lot of talk amongst me and my friends was about repeats because they played the first five shows without repeats. And I thought I thought it would be impossible for them to play 13 shows that didn't have any repeats. It just I, I thought they had debuted too many new songs over the course of the first five shows that it's all fish is all about wanting to play their new stuff over and over again. Yeah, get them oil, get, get them road friendly, road ready. <laughs> And I didn't see Chalk Us Torture Trey playing it once in 13 shows. <laughs> and, and I've down never with disease. Been... And uh, what was the other exactly. one? Exactly. They knocked yeah. him out right away, too. Yeah. And I, I've never been happier to be wrong. Um, so, and, and then they opened with uh, Shake Your Coconuts. And I'd be lying if I said I had heard that song before that night. Um, junior, but that, junior, senior. Yes. And, and then it became clear that oh that we should be paying attention to the donut flavors and um i want to point out one thing there was a, a pretty funny thing right away from the uh watching the free stream side of things <laughs> because they you know they were showing that this was the first night and they're you know showing the f beginning of the sets you know what i mean they right gi they give you the first song so as they were fading this song out at the end it was the beginning of Martian Monster saying, your trip is short. Your trip is short. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. And um, uh, it was pretty cool. They got a little Harry Nelson, too, later on in the set, yeah. fit, fitting the Put theme. Put the lime in the coconut. Mm -hmm. And a cool acapella arrangement of it, which is something that we'd see again, you know. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if it's the same woman that they used that, that did their brilliant um, arrangement of Space Oddity from last year. Yeah. But yeah. Well, so wait, there, a woman, uh, elaborate on that. Um, I, I wish I heard her name in, in, in front of my fingers, but Fish hired somebody to put together uh, an acapella arrangement of Space Oddity that they debuted for the first time at Wrigley Field uh, in the summer of 2006, not too long after David mm -hmm. Bowie had died. 16, yeah. Well, I mean, that, the arrangement's was, incredible. So I, I didn't realize they hired someone to, to help them with that. I didn't know that either. And uh, so I, 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 it would be my guess that for the few acapella uh, new covers that they added to the repertoire this summer, that they might have used the same woman. They didn't use her for Chocolate Rain, though, but... Uh... <laughs> right. Well, that is that that is a different uh, ball of wax. And as they started doing these acapellas, that's where I thought we were going to see an acapella that had to do with the donut every night. So they that's the thing about fish. They're constantly fucking with you. They get in your head. They make you think something, and then it's something else. Or you have a high expectation, and they change it on you. Exactly, exactly. And I was very happy to see that they played Moon Age Daydream. I didn't make it to Vegas for Halloween last fall uh, when they covered Z Ziggy Stardust. Um, and that's the song I most wanted to see them play. And, and they did a great job of it. And I was hoping for an interesting encore. And they played Mango Song in that slot for the first time in, in quite some time, as well as uh, ripping Good Times, Bad Times. Um, so it, it was a, uh, you, you add that to the seven below, um, this, the tweezer into seven below segment, which was, you know, Im impressive improvisation, uh, lots of beautiful blissful jamming and then some evil stuff. And, and Mr. Completely, right there, Mr. Completely had a little evil stuff. Yeah, I, I, exactly. And, and let me, uh, let me ask you this at, at, toward the end of moon age daydream as, as Trey's 
uh, resolving the jam, it kind of sounds like while my guitar gently weeps, it started now. Now that they've done a mashup, it kind of makes me think they could meld Moon Age Daydreaming while my guitar pretty sweetly. <laughs> Uh, absolutely absolutely uh we either tell that to umphreys or fish which one are you gonna do <laughs> well umphreys did it first although fish thought about wait it wait a second fish Actually, thought about it umphreys is listening <laughs> <laughs> Joel. so listen uh your writer parker harrington did something i really liked and this is you know he's doing the article for the first of this baker's <clears throat> dozen run and i love how how he shed a, a sort of a contextual light on the run by explaining in the beginning of his article where the term came from Basically from draconian penalty avoiding bakers from uh, medieval times. Throwing another throwing another donut in there so they don't get accused of, of short changing people. Throwing another donut so no one's called an asshole. <laughs> no, yeah, I thought that was brilliant as well. It was it was cool to read how that whole term became, you know, in popular lingo. And I like the way he described the uh the uh compelling but concise jamming between tweezer and seven below as well. Yeah, there was there were there were some jams that there was not much downtime in. There were there were points in noodling, but um, just because they were very just because some of the jams were very long doesn't mean that it took them a while to get someplace or that there was lots of noodling involved. I I thought they got to the point pretty well. And then the big shocker to me on 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 this first one was slave slave to be you know slave is one of those like finale stretch out get all the emotion flowing through the crowd and um to drop that on the first of the run i even i thought maybe that if they were to drop it if they weren't doing if they were going to do repeats we'd hear that in the you know the end of the first weekend not the first night and then that was another thing that had me at that point saying there's no way they're not gonna play slave again and before we move on was that where the uh, the Shaker Coconuts and Harry Nilsson's Coconut. Are those the only theme references for that show? Uh, no, there was also a lyric in oh, the new uh, song. Reba. Reba. Oh, no. Uh, no Reba. Chloroform and Coconuts. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was it. Reba, they, they, there was uh, some rough moments in it, but there well, was some sweetness in it. You can't say they on. blew Reba because they didn't whistle on that one. Right. <laughs> well, well said. Show two, July 22. The theme was Strawberries. And uh, this was one time they were a little predictable, but they did an acapella strawberry fields forever to open and they each took a verse, right? Yes. Yes. And again, it was a brilliant, um, it was a brilliant arrangement, which really makes me think uh, that it was uh, the, the woman that Fish had hired for Space Oddity. Very cool. Uh, what else do we have that show? We have Strawberry Goo Line in, in Haley's Comet. And uh, I loved the way... <clears throat> And I, I don't think I left it here. I don't think I copied it on my notes, unfortunately. But the way Jesse Jarno explains why it makes sense for Fish to cover Shuggy Otis, that the psychedelic rhythms and the lyrics fit in with Fish well. Do you agree with that? Uh, I do. Um, I think perhaps of any of the ones they played, that's the one that I, I agree with Jesse in that it's the one that's, that's most ripe um, for for fish to play again it just fit their sounds very well it's called uh, like like the glove almost it's called strawberry letter number 23 and your writer ap smith said uh, mcconnell's first notes of the song sent the arena into a frenzy Ooh. <laughs> i love those moments i love those moments 
uh, then you would have loved this run because uh, and, and that's you know one of the big thing about outdoor shows versus indoor shows. Uh, yes. As much as I love outdoor shows in the middle of the summer, you're not fully surrounding the band. Um, there's them, yeah. often space between the sections. There's a, the lawn is a far away from the four guys on stage. Right. When you're in an arena that is just everyone is around them in 360, you hear the cheers for certain sections of songs uh-huh. for bust outs for new new debuts and uh you know the energy had a real playoff feel to it if i could bring a sports analogy and oh you it. always can here you're listening to sports radio rob turner <laughs> scott burns <laughs> there you go uh no that that's absolutely absolutely right i've all i love an outdoor show but there's some the energy inside an arena is unlike anything else and at the madison square garden is a very special place there's the sound there's amazing i mean we haven't even touched talking about the lighting i mean corota just destroyed destroyed it he, he and and to get so comfortable we'll get to that we've got we'll some good there, points but, on that but the, you're absolutely you're spot on about the arena can we talk about moma dance scotty we seem to be entering a new age with this song um it seems to be more and more they want to stretch on it. Um, there was a, just a sick one a couple of years ago in the Northwest somewhere. And then Bert, Bertolette Down, I don't know what that reference is, but on Fishnet, he wrote this about the MoMA in New York. Uh, At nearly all of the shows in question, there seems to be a MoMA, to the point where a Pavlovian response has developed. And once MoMA appears, I tamp down my expectations for at least the rest of the set. Tonight in Madison Square Garden during the Baker's Dozen Run, I'm saying. Tonight, from the four-minute mark, it's clear that this version will not adhere to standard form. Baker's Dozen math dictates that some of these hemmed-in songs will need to come on unhemmed, and it's Mike who loosens the reins here. You know I love that. Breaking with his normal slap attack, the whole band comes together around a simple minor groove, and in a moment, delightful sensitivity moves into the major all at once, as if exhaling together. Scotty, respond, please. I, I think that's a, an apt description. Uh, I, now this is twice in the past four years that MoMA has expanded beyond its boundaries and that it happened in the normal a slot that MoMA gets played in, you know, three songs, two songs into the show. That's right. The other uh, one was second set, right? Exactly. Um, it's going to bring a whole new excitement when they start that song, which was very straightforward for, uh, it's the the first, uh, 19 years of his, of its existence. Although I will say it's a very, very fun song. It's one of those where you kind of moan when they go in, when they start it, but then once you're, you know, you're like, oh, whatever. But then once they start playing, it's so fun to dance to. Yeah. And and you get the dancing shoes on and you go back to uh, outdoor. I love MoMA dance outdoors because that's, that's a, that's an Walker. And I might be getting, I might get a, a Scotty B bitch slap down here though, but I, I, I swear that when it was Black Eyed Katie, when it was an instrumental, that they would improvise off of it. Is that, is that right? They did improvise more off of those than they did. There were more tray, there was an extra section of a tray solo that led right. into a bit more. And you also lost the verses part of it. So mm-hmm. it, it seemed more, you know, I- improv based because you had the improv section and you got rid of the, the song mm-hmm. section. But, you know, that, that was, and, and first set jams are just, uh, really uh, one of my biggest issues with fish coming into this year was the lack of first set jams it was one of your 10 things that they needed to do right which they did exactly. do nine, nine of those 10 
Yes, I, yeah, I wrote a wish list on uh, Jambase that we published the day before the first Chicago show, which opened the tour, and they wound up coming through on nine of them, and, and one of them was first at Jams, and uh, there were there was a nice handful, maybe six or seven real tasty first at Jams. It's this ice tour. tube, tube. Mm-hmm. It's ice, but we'll get yes. to that. Why do you think they didn't do that one? Which, if I'm correct, is the having people sit in. I think they were just doing so well on their own. They were didn't want to. They they obviously put in a lot of practice time every day, and <clears throat> didn't want to use any of that practice time to work with another musician. Um, and I think it's a trend that we've seen a whole lot in this period of Fish. I mean, out, outside of really special shows like halloween and, and new year's um i i, I believe per, perhaps jen and natalie sitting in on Susie greenberg at dicks in 2014 i believe that was is one of the only guest spots well the last, chief the uh, chief in nashville well i, I don't, yeah oh that that's a great don't right, forget that, the chief that, i don't know no, i spent no, the whole that, time looking at the uh, top of the uh, scoreboard in the center waiting for michael ray to just float down <laughs> and not yeah. get off the stage <laughs> I won't get off the stage. I am on the stage. I'm not getting off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's so cosmic of you. Uh, so let's see. Split open a melt. Um, again, like I said in last week's episode, um, th- when things get sloppy, it doesn't derail them. And then we yes. still had a beautiful, beautiful jam at the end of Split Open a Melt. By the way, a song I always miss when I go. They've just played it or they just don't play it. And then they played. They took another run at Down with Disease, which was... Just, you know, there were a number of moments here where we're at the second night where it's like, okay, this is the Baker's Dozen. They're going to be covering these songs they've never played before. They're going to be extending MoMA to 17 minutes in the first set. They're going to be reprising Down With Disease six songs later in the second set and play a three-song encore that includes uh, Peaches. So, uh, you know, this was another one that that really showed that where this this was going to be historic and not your typical fish shows yeah go ahead so now now just i agree so now now we've got we've got strawberry all oh over no we're not lips, leaving so? that show yet i have oh, two no. last comments on that show and then i'll and then we'll move right i love the shine a light always uh congratulations to my sweet one for being the last song on our show last week a very big honor for that song and i i, <laughs> I hear it listens so hello hey my sweet one um I'm also this is a big one i'm not always a fan of the people singing along at the shows, you know? I, in particular, the one that turns around and only goes... Nye, 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 nye. But I'll tell you what. <laughs> Remember, I'm listening to audience recordings. And the sing-along on Haley's and on Cities was really, really cool. In tune. It was. It sounded good, dude. It did. Well, you were there. Tell me, tell me, Scott. Was it, uh, was it the sing-along unusually strong? Uh, there were moments, definitely, where the singing along was very strong, and there were also a couple moments that, uh, like Seth had hinted at, were a little annoying, but the energy, uh, as I said, was like playoff level. It was pretty through the roof, but, you know, there were moments like Fee in particular, I'll never forget. We'll get to that, but just in terms of singing along, um, you know, everyone was on every word with that song, and you could barely hear the band. <laughs> <laughs> sounded good on the honest recording. Um, by the way, we got a mic trifecta. That's rare. That hasn't been talked about much. It was Funky Bitch meet what what is it i don't have the set list right in front of me funky bitch mound 
And Mount Mound them. and Foam, yes. Foam, yeah. When was the last time they did three Mike, not written, but Mike sung songs right in a row like that? Um, it's not that rare. And, really? And, isn't Foam Trey with Mike singing that one verse? I guess it's mostly Trey. Oh. But it's, uh, I still associate it with Mike. Okay, on the Mike note, um, what's the inside scoop on the lipstick? <laughs> Is it because of the way the great... lights hit it? How it makes it kind of spooky on his face, the way the lights hit it? I'm guessing it has to do with his daughter and something. His daughter said, hey, why don't you start wearing lipstick? Uh, it looks okay. You look funny, Daddy. Um, okay. But I, I don't know the uh, full answer to that. Well, Mike, if you're <laughs> listening, insideoutwtns at gmail.com. Let us know. He's an artist. He can wear any he can. lipstick or scarves he, he wants. He was my hero the whole run, though. In my, I mean, he, he was just... I thought the down with Incredible. disease on this night was the beginning of there were two other times there were three times on the run where Mike where they got into a space where Mike was doing stuff that sounded like tool. Did you hear any of that? You mean with a tool or no, the band. Sound like come on tool. the band. Uh, well he has a power drill, Rob. You know, I, I'd be lying if I said I was familiar enough to, to with Tool to really know that the, their bass sounds. Um, like, but if you're saying industrial, you know, yeah, I, a little industrial. Th- th- then I think that's fair. Yeah, but not like out of, over the top, sort of industrial hinting. But okay, exactly. that's enough. We've beaten that show to death. Well, <laughs> it ended with my sweet one. Is that? Do you think that was too? You know, sweet donut. Was there was anything there? Or is it just my sweet one? Well, you know, at first we were thinking the encores had to do with sweetness in terms of mango the first time and um, peaches and my sweet one and the second one and what we'll get to in the third night. But that uh, quickly ended on night four. So I don't think that there was anything specific. Or maybe there um, was going to be and they just decided to change it up as they that go. That could like be true. That could be true, and I think that's kind of what Trey was hinting at in the uh, in the interview with Jesse Jarnow that was published today with the New York Times. Yes, that he wanted to leave room for changes and for improvisation. So it's very possible they started some things that they didn't get to finish. I I, I just want while you mention that. It's a beautiful thing that Jesse Jarno is getting published in Rolling Stone and New York Times. And Rolling mm-hmm. Stone, why don't you hire him and make him a permanent member before you lose him? I mean, he is such a good writer. He should be Always a permanent writer. And he might be the best writer to come out of our scene ever. I, I, I don't disagree with that. You're not the first person who have says, has said that today. Or, or to quote a friend of mine, he's the David Frick of the jam scene. But I'm being too nice. <laughs> Getting back to being a bitch might be time to for the fish to put peaches away but then uh, july 23rd show three velvet was the theme and they opened with what what is this velvet immediately became <laughs> maybe my favorite fish song song ever plus another one with a mike gordon bass solo and if if the band or anybody who works for the band is listening in i don't i'm not i'm not suggesting you do anything i'm just saying every time my clergyman told me this seth my clergyman Every time Mike Gordon takes a bass solo, an angel gets his wings. Oh. Or her wings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Or at least lipstick. <laughs> yeah, and some lipstick. So they open this one. Sunday morning by Velvet Underground. On a Sunday. I love it. I love it. So, such a great cover. And, and um, Fishnet said he was wearing a stole and a meat tray, which I, I don't... What's this? I know he had that kind hat, of what, the like shawl. the Pope dresses in. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw it. I just didn't know what a stole and a meat. I, I, yeah, I'm I, not I didn't know enough. how to describe. I'm glad I didn't have to do the recap that night because exactly. I didn't know how to describe it other than <laughs> what I just said. Well, here's a good time to talk about 
the lighting because um yes um well the lighting so those who weren't there and, and that didn't watch any of the streams it was moving I mean, when I say yeah. it was moving, it was moving, of course. It was touching, it was moving, it was like velvet. But it really was moving. These, It was... Plus, as totally Jeff different. Waffle pointed out immediately... Jefferson Waffle, lighting designer of Humphreys McGee. Pointed out immediately it's the first time Kuroda has worked with this much asymmetry. Absolutely. And, you know, one other point that should be brought up is that last year, Fish did the biggest change in their history to their light rig. Right. They added a whole bunch of video panels. Which, by the way, I kind of like that stuff. Once again, I'm counter to the majority of the Fish base on a lot of things, and that's just another example. A lot of people didn't like it, but I loved it. What, 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 did, what, what did you think? I liked it for what it was. I didn't think it was very fishy, if, if that's such a thing. And hmm. um, I... I he he went to a completely different light rig that was more like what he had used in the past, except you add these moving trusses into the mix, which just blew fans' minds as this you know as these trusses are moving in 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 front of us. Yeah, um, and but, it particularly but, adds to the improv. The one night, the two nights I was able to watch the webcast, it seemed like his ability to move that like almost was maybe part of the reason the improv was was going through so many textures because Kuroda does he influence him so as he's moving the lights yeah. it seems like it inspires the band to be more he, he kept with it and and it did flow almost in a wave pattern like that but he kept to the same palette and that then i think scotty what you're talking about is that fish palette right right of, of those those colors that are familiar with a lot of those songs that that we've grown up with and you know it just one thing to mention is just the amount of work that must have gone into going from this video based design of 2016 where they programmed all these different looks to go through these video panels and then totally scrapped it and then had a chris had a like 237 different songs using a completely different system six months later and you know i i just that that can't can't be easy and uh my hat's off to him and yeah. the final thought on chris um relates back to the red velvet night is he was using red throughout the whole night some songs he bathed the whole audience and band in red the whole <laughs> night i mean he really took that uh, theme uh, to heart more than any other, more than any of the others, Chris, that is. And then he was also doing these things where these lights are stationary. Think about this way. You're in the arena. If you have the same ticket every night, there's a chance you are under one of the lights. So every night when he, they did 360 lights, he, he had, he lit up all, the whole entire arena. So there's a chance that that light's on top of you and every night you're getting shined on. Well, like, and also he apparently was giving the sense of movement in the room. Like Gideon Plotnicki of Live for Live Music said, lighting designer, Chris Carotto used your pet cat as his first oppor opportunity of the night to show off his new moving light rig, tilting the rig back and forth seemingly toying with the room's center of gravity. Did you get that kind of feeling where you were, it was almost, you know, throwing off where you were at? Definitely. Definitely. It, it moved in all sorts of different 
crazy directions and it certainly when you're not used to it um you, you definitely felt like w when you're on a ship that's stationary and a ship is passing you and you feel like is am, am i moving or is that other ship passing? <laughs> right. we've experienced that together scotty as he, said, <laughs> exactly. as he said on our show he works the rangers games and and then and the knicks games too i think and he has a close relationship with msg now do you see him he's been planting those lights for years <laughs> yeah he's got he's like tapers he hits he he goes to the bathroom and hides lights. No, but seriously, was he using the house lights a lot as well as his own rig? He, he was, and he started doing that on the New Year's run for the first time. There is a line of lights that circles the arena um, on its roof that only gets used by the Knicks and rangers um lighting designers i it is my understanding and i don't know this to be a hundred percent true um but it's my understanding that because chris helped program the lights for the rangers and knicks games that he they they gave him the keys to use those lights as part of the fish rig and i would say he used them maybe once every three songs so that there was really a strong effect when he did use them and one other thing he brought back were strobe lights <laughs> that had gone missing for a long time. But that was that due to the lawsuit of the people that were having the um, the seizures, seizures and all that. But now they have these. They, they they found that you can get the eclipse glasses and wear those to the shows, and you kind of look like someone from like the desert, you know, you know, Burning Man kind of deal with the eclipse glasses. But they stopped the seizures. So first yeah. strobes of <laughs> that. First strobes uh -huh. of three point Scotty. I think they were. I, I think they were. I, I haven't seen them since, uh, like, mid-90s mics. Wow. Uh, let me also, uh, how many people are you was just a throwdown. I hope nobody went to the bathroom during that. Paige, <laughs> Paige was on fire, and then, and then there was this, like, the mic went back to the to the vocals during vocals during the jam, and it, it got real crazy, and that, that, that one came plunging at us. Yeah, and it's interesting. That song as it's constructed normally is a jam vehicle but um be because it modulates keys in the way that a lot of great fish jams do um but they still haven't taken it beyond the eight or nine minutes um that it normally is it's just it's so they could break that open so wide um but even when they don't it kind of sounds like they are because it has some of the same trademarks of classic fish jams uh, it seemed like Trey added some little funky uh, guitar flourishes to Glide that I hadn't heard before. There was I am not used to them nailing Glide, and right. there were plenty of things they did not nail this run. Yeah, but they they nailed Glide. Some basic and that things was, that was great. It, it was that was one of the odd things about the run is that they obviously they certain things they didn't rehearse, but they would mm -hmm. like they flub the inter, the. Der, 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 of Julius, you yeah. know, after they've just nailed something, <laughs> some like completely yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. Odd. Exactly. And it's like, you know, It's Ice is the opposite of how many people are you, where you, It's Ice <laughs> is the same way. It's got this little jam segment that is worked into the structure of the song that you always wished they would break open because it's such a funky progression. And on this night, just like they did uh, for the MoMA the previous night, they broke it wide open, and it is definitely the best that Ice Fish has ever played. And that's why they released for, it again. First set. Mm -hmm. Now, in your yeah, opinion, yeah. Scotty, is this? Uh, is the, are they going into this? Do you think 
and saying, okay, you know what, tonight, let's do that? Or is it just like looking and natural and happening at that moment that they're going Yeah, with what it? about that? Do they say we're going to take this ice out? I mean, I'm not talking about... We're going to melt this ice! Not talking about Jamfield night, talking about the other nights. We're talking about, we're talking about this night. It's yeah, ice. Yeah, well, because on the Jamfield night, you're, I'm yeah, sure they did. Yeah. But yeah, like the ice. Do you think that comes that happens impromptu and that another song gets crossed off because they did that? I do. I, I feel that is probably the case. But I think perhaps as a, a mo for the run, they were telling, talking, "Hey, if we're going to do this and pull this off, no, there's no repeats. We're going to have to extend songs that we may normally not, and that goes beyond just jam filled night." Mm-hmm. And you have to stretch it. And, they, and uh, so when they caught on to this great groove in its ice, you know, I, Trey wasn't looking to cut it off like he normally does. And some of them they didn't even extend, yet still took a new direction with. And I would think Wolfman's would be an example of that because it's usually a four, uh, uh, you know, 14, 16 minute song. But they 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 really Short, got unfinished. quiet and 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 different with Wolfman's this time. And it was weird because it came after they did, like, essentially a straightforward Wolfman's. And then it was like they were done, and you were waiting for them to move to the next song. And instead, they moved to another, you know, they, they <laughs> modulated the keys and moved to another really cool jam space. And, uh, you know, gave us a few magical minutes there before Twist finally emerged. Well, actually, Trey kind of probably misread the set list because they kind of go into waves first. Did they write the set list? Uh, yeah, it was there. And there's another thing because if you listen closely, Trey's clearly thinking waves, and there actually is a nice transition to waves developing. But then I think there's a quick little conversation. They end up in twist. Now that mm-hmm. that's so. not misreading. That's not as we call it baylessing the set list. But that's actually <laughs> that's actually them calling it on the fly. Right, making an audible. It really is. But why would you huh. blow off way? I mean, there, you've got a nice transition happening. I, it's just odd to me why they would. Why they just bail when when it, musically it's working? Unless it was a setlist thing, pre-written thing. I mean, the the twist I thought was one of the highlights of the night. Absolutely, so I I am not complaining. No, and, no, 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 not at all. Um, I I had a conversation with with Mike, and uh, well, I'd say most of it was off the record. I think it's fair to say that it was that where he particularly felt the run um, was becoming special in his eyes and that he had the most fun on, on that night. Um, I think he tweeted um, religious experience, right? Right, that- right, which everyone was... When, when I you know, made a big deal about that, everyone was saying, oh, he was just talking about Sunday morning and how Fish was dressed like the Pope. But I really think he meant both. <laughs> when will that be released? Just before their tour? What? When will what be released? Your the conver- Mike album? Your conversation with Mike. Uh, it was really just groundwork for, for a feature that I'm doing that's going to be published next month uh, before Mike's album comes out. Cool. Well, if you have a follow-up the- with Mike, let him know. We'd love to have him on the show. He's here in uh, Atlanta. Or Athens, rather. Yeah, I'm sure that's that'll be the first thing on Scott's mind, <laughs> Seth. I'm sure he's going to be doing a lot of press for his new album, which is amazing. So you guys should definitely get in touch if he's coming to your neck of the woods. Well, you know, I love Mike Gordon band, so there's plenty. We could... Yeah, but they have a restraint. He has a restraining order. No, but you. seriously, Seth, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about Mike Gordon band just as much as we'll talk about Fish, because that is a great band, and I'm an old school. Will Mike. he wear Matt. lipstick on his Mike band? tour <laughs> that remains to be seen <laughs> and, and will robert question. walter be the one putting it on 
He'll wear <laughs> lipstick, and there'll be keys at the front of the stage, and somehow the lipstick will be able to trigger the keys, and it'll create a whole... Or the keys will change the color of the lipstick. Ah. Uh, there you go. All right, so, so that on night... On Twist, my final... What I, what uh, I had written yeah. down on Twist was stunning jam, seamlessly moving through subtly linked sections. Trey steps up to lead band with some wailing guitar, sliding in and out of cascading fish gordo interplay. Superb jam with very sick return to Twist. Am I on to something? Definitely. And, uh, you know, this this was, again, not there was not much wasted time there. There were it was just one anthemic lead from another from Trey. And uh, there was great interplay between all, all four of them. And they really took their time before they moved on to Waves, which which had some of the more uh, dissonant jamming of the uh, of, of the run at, at, at a Waves. Um, I could see and, Waves every show. I could see Waves. I love Waves. Yeah. <laughs> And I like how they blow out different sections of waves every time they, they play it. It's like you never know where the jam is going to come from. And even Miss You worked well in that slot. Um, you know, how could you not know that song is about Trey's sister and it not have an emotional impact mm-hmm. on you? For the for those that don't know, Trey's sister uh, died of cancer um, about a decade ago at this point. And he wrote um, Miss You about missing her. And, uh, you know, that, that, that one uh, tugs at my emotional heartstrings and it's also a, a very a, a very very moving ballad which fish needs more of and it, right from the first time they performed it remember that was when we had the big large screen in the backyard and they're playing wrigley field and they busted out oh, miss yeah. you and remember brian and brian terwilliger and i both were like that that's the best ballad maybe trey's ever written and that's why bob weir picked up on it right away too when he yes. sent the album i wasn't surprised that that was the song bob weir zeroed in on and Boogie On was a pretty straight affair, and Waiting in the Velvet Sea, everyone knew was coming because of the Red Velvet. True, but theme. having not been there, just listening to it strictly musically, Scotty, it's a great version. That's not yes. a song I look for, but they, it was a, it was worthy of its set closer status. I didn't think it was going to be when I saw it on the set list. There, I was like, oh, they closed with that. Ooh. What is this Velvet? Oh. I love that. I'm going to say that ten times today. <laughs> it had a Morning Dew like effect. It kind of, kind of worked. <clears throat> How were the lights during Velvet? It was just red. It was the whole thing was just red. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which was pretty cool.
the Sweet Jane, which is a big rarity. But then after the show, as Scotty said, this is when anybody who had waited to buy tickets for the last shows, if you didn't buy them before the, the, the jam-filled, you were probably out on the street with fingers in your ear a couple days ago over the weekend. Jam-filled donut theme coming Also a great night to be a Twitter follower of the gentleman we have on the phone right now, who is just... just Giddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He definitely uh also that he had his best seats of the run that night, right, Scott? This was my experience. I was going with a friend that I grew up with. Um he told me he had tickets. We never discussed where they were. Um he handed me the ticket. We walked down to our seats. It is all of a sudden I'm on the first row of the closest section to page it was literally the best seats i've ever had in the 50 shows that i've seen at madison 50 fish shows i've seen at madison square garden was it section 57 z by any chance uh it used to be it used to be they're they're not uh, they go by 100s now because we used to have 57 z for the dead like year after year after year we had a friend who would get those for us uh, they, they they got rid of the double digit ones, but it, it's essential. I know what you're talking about. Suffice to say, it's uh, just for people who've never been to the garden. It's loge and it's on the side, but you feel like you're on the stage. You feel like they're in your living room, right? I mean, if I could pick any seat in Madison Square Garden to pick in, it, you know, literally the, those would be the ones. So for it to be what turned out to be jam filled night, and and you know, coming in, I just knowing Fish's sense of humor, I just didn't buy into it that it was going to be really them jamming out songs that they normally didn't jam out so when they started sampling the jar i almost you know right then i i knew it i i said the only reason they're playing sample is because they're going to want to jam it out they're going to crack open their most throwaway song no i mean it's fair and (laughs) you know and it was did you wheel around uh, (laughs) <laughs> they actually did wheel around because they, after the the ten minute jam, they came back and concluded and Trey did his normal solo to yeah. end the song. Yes, that was very well done. And then, and yep, uh, you know, some things things that are celebrated in the fish community are, are overhyped, but this lawn boy is not an example. Play it, Leo. This lawn boy is is is. So, the, first of all, for you people who don't, it's kind of a loungy, psychedelic lounge music, normally three-minute piece that... If that. <laughs> go ahead, Scott. And uh, for this version, Paige strapped on a keytar, which I believe was originally owned by James Brown. Did you did you know that before Jarno wrote that, or is that something Jesse Jarno found out? Herbies. No, no that, that's Brown. been known for, oh, okay. for a while. Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, Page strapped it on, and they did Lawn Boy, and uh, Fish took a solo, which it's usually only Mike who takes a solo. And while Fish was taking a solo, Page put the guitar down and went to his synthesizer. And that's when I knew it was going down. It's on. It's on. And it was... the lawn boy into Jimmy Stewart into lawn boy was just uh, <laughs> w- ridiculous. No, but but careful, it, 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 careful dude. They, they, Don't piss off your they, core audience. They, they, <laughs> or they, they took it to so many different places, and you know the joke of is this still lawn boy is so true because nothing that they played sounds anything like 
um, the normal structure of Lawn Boy. And, you know, besides just how incredible that jam was, just the thinking of at that point, it was like whatever they play, whatever normal song they play, right. they're going to jam in a way that they never have before. It as, was really as an exciting said, feeling. As Jarno said, in an established and anything can happen mood. And I, I, when they, about 10 minutes into it, I'm like, all right, so I get it, jam night. This is the this is the whole set. Maybe they'll go the whole show and it will just yeah. be no set break and just fucking jam. <laughs> and I was I was ready for it. I was ready for it. But but still, what they did was incredible. And, and here's here's a funny thing. Uh, Andrew O'Brien at Live for Live Music uh, says that uh, verbally describing a jam can become a fool's errand. Immediately after he wrote a, a really really cool description of the jam. <laughs> Which is powered by an impeccably tight fisherman, quite possibly the evening's MP, MVP. The Lomboy Jam was patient, focused, enthralling, and clocked in at just under 30 minutes when all was said and done. And then My Friend, My Friend after, which they also opened up, but I didn't think the jamming was as successful on that. And then I feel like the stash is underrated um, because it's not very long and because there was such other unusual stuff in the set. But I listened to that stash twice yesterday, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's just not just got thrown boundary under the lawn. breaking, right? You right. know, got thrown under and, the lawn. <laughs> and it was the same thing could, could be said for bathtub. Both are on a normal night standout versions. Yeah, bathtub's but, okay. You bathtub's know, okay. When, with bubbles, it's so good though. Yeah, when you had the, the those first three songs be the way that they were, you know, it was just tough for anything to come after that. What was the vibe now? You guys go into set break, and again, it's a family reunion, like you said, Madison Square Garden, walking around those halls, seeing all your you know folks that we've been seeing these shows with for years, there and their kids now seeing the shows. But what was the what was going on through people's mind? Um, what was the excitement? Yeah, because it seems like for a lot of these people who see the band a lot, that that might have been sort of a pay dirt show. I mean, not just you. I'm talking about younger people who maybe went really like had to come all the way to New York. You know what I mean? For people that there, there were, go ahead. There were hugs, there was disbelief, there were predictions of what else could be fit into jam-filled night. And on an interesting note, I also came across one of my friends who thought it would be a great idea to bring her parents to a fish show. And she decided the weekend day would be the the least crazy of <laughs> any of the shows. So she brings her parents to the show with the five-song first set with uh, the 30-minute Lawn Boy. Are they jazz just, fans? Um, I don't understand. You, you, you said this is a bit... Where are the words? I don't know. Don't they sing? What did you bring me to? Pretty much. So I kind of felt bad for her. That but there's was no, not, there's uh, no line in the bathroom, though. The, That's nice. The best time. And I will also say that the jam-filled donut was the tastiest of all the donuts in terms of the actual donuts. <laughs> now, Fuego was a key point, too, because and, and um, I was psyched to see that Andy Kahn, your writer who did the write-up on this one, kind of underscored something I had thought about the Fuego and something I said last week on our episode, you know, how the, uh, the band... Um, isn't derailed by uh, stuff that's off. And in Fuego, it actually spawned a whole new, I thought, accent to the instrumental out of it. And and Khan says, Tuesday's performance of the title track of their 2014 studio album took on a mellow improvisation, meandering into ambience as each musician added to the amorphous audio landscape. So that's what it flowed out of, out of what I was talking about. Um, is Fuego here to stay, man? I love Fuego. It's another one of those. That is the- he here to stay? It's still hot. 
Yeah, and, and it, it's just a matter of is Fuego going to be jammed? I feel like more often than not, it's straight. But even when they play it straight forward, they add so many little accents to the nooks and crannies of the song. Right. I mean, I, I think they clearly love it. And, and on I, this I version, it seemed like they anywhere. went with the accents. They, they, they kind right, of- exactly. That's a good point. Go ahead, Seth. No, no, no. I just wanted to hear what Scotty was saying. Sorry. Sorry about that. I get excited about Fuego. <laughs> <laughs> your, th- but, 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 your thoughts on thread new song thread i think it's the best of the new songs it's the most interesting it's the most proggy of them um i wonder how it's going to develop if it's going to be like mercury where they're going to start um extending some of those proggy sections um but uh, I, that, that's the one that gives me most hope as a, a jam vehicle moving forward, which made it fitting for jam night. Mm-hmm. And then Andrew, and then, oh, go ahead. <clears throat> and then there's the big daddy of them all, the, the cross-eyed, which while I love the lawn boy, I was just blown away by every twist and turn they made in that uh, cross-eyed and it just seemed like it would never end in, in a good way. And which was very interesting was that fish didn't break from the songs, very familiar groove um, and only for very short periods of, of time. But what the other three members of the band were doing were so far out of the box from what a typical cross-eyed uh, play uh sounds like Mm -hmm. and there 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 were a couple of parts of that cross-eyed and painless that if they were smart they'll go back to and write songs around (laughs) interesting because the cross-eyed and painless is not something that let me rephrase that cross-eyed and painless is something that they have jammed out several times and have done things with extending oh sure Uh, absolutely but not to the 30 minute mark Mm -hmm. except except west palm right Oh, you're talking, you're talking about uh, 97? With 96 That's one of my all-time favorite fish And yes, I'm not even, yes, yes. Antelope's not even one of my favorite things with fish, but that <laughs> night Antelope was like just redonkulous. My 96 well, and 97 is a blur. <laughs> they all come back together. Definitely. <laughs> and, and then they, they go into... Oh, wait, before Cross-Eyed, one more Andrew thing. Yeah. Uh, um, he says, I, I like this too. And this is the guy who says it's a fool's errand to write about improvisation. Okay, you ready? A slinky cocktail lounge jam, building and breaking bass-forward sonic chemtrails, flightly guitar flutterings, and seemingly endless thematic twists and turns with some 1.0 hose, some 2.0 weirdness, some 3.0 groove, and more generally impeccable work behind the kit from Fishman. Good writing. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's good writing. Okay, go on to the next one, please. And, you know, then we we got Maki uh, Super and... I wondered if this was going to be the the jam-filled, you know, white boy reggae that I'd always <laughs> been been hoping for. But instead, it was more of a fun version, a more uh, tour of Mike's house and, um, you know, uh, showing off the, the fun side of the band. 
and landed in a place I don't think anyone in that venue besides maybe 10 to 20 people realized what was happening when they offered the live debut of End of Session, mm-hmm. the final track from the story of the ghost. And I'll admit, um, I, I, I knew the progression sounded somewhat familiar, but I definitely didn't realize what it was until uh, I saw the, the tweet from Fish from the Road. But boy, talk about diving deep into your repertoire. I mean, to play a song that appeared on a 1998 album and then was never played live. Um, you know, one of only four or five uh, Fish studio tracks that have never been played live. Um, but that you know, leads, just, me, leads me to a question yeah. that's exemplary of why it's pivotal to have something to have you on this show. The transition from Maki Supa to End of Session is so smooth. Is there any way they rehearsed that transition? I bet they did. I bet they did. Uh, it's my understanding they put in about three or four hours a day um, of practice on show days. And I, the way that that sounds and the way that that all worked out, I, I'm sure when they decided they were going to play end of session that they there was some talk about how they would go into it. And that's, you know, Trey at his best. Trey at his best in 1994, 1995, going back to the hotel room after a show and working out set lists and working out these crazy um, segues and transitions. And I, I, I do think that that you're that it was pre-planned, but we'll never know. Well, well, uh, no, I don't know about well, never. But these guys, these guys go to work, and they're they are at their prime, and they love doing. They're at a prime. They're at a prime. Yeah, not their prime, but they they. It's obvious that they love to do the work that they do, and we love the work that they do. But it's it's just so apparent because this, I mean, not many bands are going to go and I mean to perform thirteen shows is is uh, is a lot of work, but to go and then rehearse the days of those shows and in between, I mean that's. It's a lot. That's a lot to ask of anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And not only for them, for their crew and for their team. Sure, they didn't have to tour and move between places, but they were dealing with a lot of other logistics that they normally don't deal with at a typical fish show, like distributing donuts and uh, having multiple posters. And have to remember what songs were played. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Is, well, does Tuesday work as a fish song in your estimation? Um, I, 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 I don't need it. I, um, I, I think it sounds fine for, for Trey band. I think they don't do anything different with it than Trey band does. And, um, so in that case, what's really the point, um, I don't hate it, but I would be fine with that, you know, didn't make the, the, the transition. Well, meanwhile, Corona, uh, Trey song that uh, that Fish d- debuted for the first time earlier in the tour, I thought was a much better fit, and I was very surprised it didn't get played at the Garden. One of three debut tour debuts that was not played in the Garden, right? Right, I, I think that's uh, fair. I know there were five songs that got played during the fir- five first five shows that didn't get played um, at the Garden. I know Wombat was one of them, and. Um, and the love is the the uh, there was a reggae original about love in there that didn't get played and uh, as you mentioned uh corona was another 
Now, this encore is Julius and Delonboy reprise, or we have to call it something else, well, right? So just, that there's uh, no repeats, right? What, what, we have what, to come yeah. up with some hocus pocus. It's, oh, it's a different nah, type of reprise. Nah, it's, it's a sub reprise. It's not Lonboy. It's not a reprise. It's Lonbro. Lonbra. 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 And then Lonboy reprise on the last <laughs> Dave, night. Dave Van happened to make it to uh, this show, and he said it was Lonbra. Lonbra. <laughs> What's your answer to that, Scott? What are we going to call this Lonboy reprise? I mean, I, I feel like it's just the end of Lawn Boy, whereas Lawn Boy Reprise is a different song with a different chord structure. The chord structure? I feel like they just... We need to listen to that. Wait, the chord structure wasn't different. Uh, not on this one. What? He's talking about the last... The, the, the last la- one, the chord structure was different? Uh, yes. They played a different vamp over which they sang Old Fa- Factory Hughes. All right. So it's a different song where it where it's like if you take chalk dust and chalk dust reprise moby dick and, moby dick and, and this show they uh start uh chalk dust in the first set and come back at the encore to can i live while i'm young for one last time that wouldn't be considered chalk dust reprise that would just be considered the end of chalk dust torture so earlier then, in the run, Down With Disease, jam, late in the second set. Was that a reprise, or was that just a – what was that? That was finishing – they finished the song. They went back into the final chorus. So it's that called closure, the, Rob. It's something right, you so, never get. All right, so at the end of Lomboy, the last night, if they had gone into Down With, Down with Disease and done that, would that have been a repeat? Because they had already finished it. If they finished it again, then, yeah, I guess that would, that, so that would be a repeat. It's, it's all about the change in the in – the, chordal structure of the final version okay i got it yes pretty much waffle it's a said. different different composition i gotta give waffle credit you said pretty much the same thing well then the next night wednesday rolls around and we are now they covered fleet foxes honestly we're now co- a powdered donut yeah it could have been theme. saturday uh strawberry night too the whitewater hymnal song and then scotty tell them what no, well hold on hold on hold on but wait the acapella acapella but what did the fleet foxes do after fish uh covered fleet Fo- uh, after fish covered them get it out uh, they were playing in Portland, Maine the next night, and they sang a couple of ragged lyrics of bouncing around the room and then introduced White uh, Winter Hymnal as a fish song. <laughs> they should cover Waste. Fleet Foxes. Well, they take their MSNBC? They could yeah, cover I, Miss You. Fleet Foxes should do Miss You. Yeah, actually. It'd be nice if they would have done something instead of just joking about it. But yeah, we'll take the joking. So, exactly. We so, take yeah, they didn't have to acknowledge it at all, really. So that now, is very uh, true. Another acapella. Are we talking maybe still some training here, some work done on it, or just did they just get their ass handed? Oh, no, that's the next night. Sorry, go ahead. The acapella stuff sounds really, really, really strong. I mean, is that going to come back in a big way, you think? It's going to become every night we get an acapella thing, kind of like it was for a while. No Freebird. Yeah, we don't need that. That was good. That was, that was good. Uh, How a lot happened. We're, we're good. If they have a great relationship with this woman, who I'm still looking, tracking down her name, <laughs> and does these incredible acapella um, you, you know, charts for songs that fish really wants to play then sure i think it definitely could be part of the new phase of fish apparently that woman's father's a dentist and his last name is capella and he always would say ah capella say ah capella <laughs> you don't you don't have to laugh Scott. they're not always that good though that was actually really bad it would have been better if i did it differently i'll work on that one guess who wrote the write-up for jam bass for this one uh let me guess Scotty B! (laughs) I just wanted to give him a chance to say that. We fight over that. Uh, But uh, but 
are we on to tube or anything else? Because I, I really want to talk about tube, which ended this set. But what else do we have in this first set? Um, I think uh, I like the very long fuse is one of my favorites of the Halloween songs from uh, the chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house. Um, and I'd love to see them extend that one day. And we should also mention the return of pebbles and marbles. Um, Did they have pebbles in their mouths though? Yeah. During that, one? <laughs> that was a mess. I didn't even get through it. That was a low point in the run for me, quite frankly. Yeah, just because of uh, the, the, the clowns. Right. Yeah, there were a lot of clams. I think they were lowering the bar just so that they could raise it again, my opinion. <laughs> right. It's like, you know what, let's just fumble through this one. It's fine. Eh, you know, Throw a little farmhouse at the end. It'll be fine. The farmhouse had a nice little jam on it, but Tube, which had become... I've gone to the bathroom during Tube many times. It'd become a dismissible piece of crap where they don't... If, they don't, if they're not going to stretch on that one, I don't think it's worth playing. And then, oh my God, Scotty, take over. The Tube. Oh my goodness. They really... They ex- extended it in a way... Um, that they never really have. And it was kind of like It's Ice in that they found this uh, funk groove that they just worked over and over. And, now, hang on. You know, they never have? What about that Dayton show with Tube and Theme? It was a very different... I'm not saying they've never jammed Tube before. I'm not... I'm just saying just not, not in this quite, way. In, in, not in this way. Gotcha. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I still think that Dayton one reigns ra- supreme. Um, Such an amazing show. A <laughs> couple of other ones, Hershey uh, uh, 2000 and 2000. Um, but the uh, tube, you know, I, I love Paige stuck out the most on this, um, both with his clavinet and uh, with uh, a synthesizer that he was using. It's a, you know, Paige had a real big change to his uh, rig, this, this tour. He added, uh, oh, pair of synthesizers to mm-hmm. his, his rig one of which uh was a brent midland favorite or at least a um, a more contemporary version of of synthesizer that brent would use in the early 80s and um you know it almost i hate to say this but brought a disco biscuits feel to um some of what page was laying down because <laughs> i think it's <laughs> I, I think it's yeah. one of Magmer's uh, standby uh, come tones. On, come on, yeah, come on, I was in there, come on, you're crazy, you're crazy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like to be finished with Welcome to the show, Scott. <laughs> Let's move on to the second so, set. So then we get to the second set. Can which, I, can I what, make a like, general what, statement? Six, no, you can't. Six songs. So now we're going back into something where. But he, I do. I do want to say one thing. It is kind of this set. The rest of the show is kind of like Umphrey's McGee to me. Not all the time. Where I love the originals. More like the old days where Umphrey's has gotten much better with the covers. But in the early days, we're Umphrey's, talking about fish, not Umphrey's. I know, but I, the rest of the show, the originals crush, and no quarters. Okay, I did not like the 1999 and Powderfinger all that much. But the but Carini completely. And Steam are amazing, and even Character Zero, they yeah. they took for a walk. Scotty, what are your thoughts on the second set and just the beautiful jamming in there and that Mr. Completely should be a, a, a part of the repertoire? Oh, I, I definitely hope so, um, and I hope Fish gets tighter with it. Um, and it was really cool that it was almost like a Mo transition in that uh, Fishman hinted at Mr. Completely a full two minutes before they actually made the turn for uh, for home. And um, I, I'd really love to see that uh, stick around. But 
the Carini, you know, Carini of late has been going into the, it, it's such a dark, so dark, dark, dirty, evil sounding song. And they take it to such a beautiful, blissful pl- place, which some fish fans hate. Um, but I particularly enjoy. Can I read um, what I, you wrote? Can I read what you wrote about that? Sure. Set two open with an adventurous Carini that scored on both the quantity and quality fronts. Fish continued a trend of swiftly moving the Carini jam into blissful territory. Both Trey and Page fit beautiful melodies into the mix, and the band eventually settled in on an anthemic riff while drummer John Fishman hinted at Mr. Completely underneath the music his mates were playing. Fish got his way, and off Fish, the band, went... On just the third Mr. Completely in Fish history, the patience shown in Carini continued, as did the copious amount of bliss jamming Anastasio worked the euphoric leads into the meat of Mr. Completely as the band built the improvisation to a twisted and glorious peak. I love the way you write, Sounds like they completed you that night. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. And that's, you know, these peaks that there were multiple ones each night, just, again, goes back to the point where we're talking about, about indoor shows fully surrounding the band and just getting to watch everyone go nuts. And uh, that was quite an experience. Talk about everyone going nuts when they hit into 1999. I mean, I could imagine the uh, roof was uh, coming off that place. But I do agree with you that... Uh, I, I will agree with you that it wasn't particularly well played until they just started jamming on it and just forgot about the the chords. And the then <laughs> I feel like it's lame and that it plotted along, but that's that's just me. That jam, the jam too, not just the structured yeah, part of the I song. Didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it, lot, but that's just me. But here's the thing: well, I'll tell younger fish fans I always don't turn away from the new material. Don't have such a knee jerk reaction because three of the best parts of this run were um the the ocean we'll get to the steam they played on this night and the blaze on and those are those are three recent songs that have been slagged by fish fans that had not, i mean steam this night scotty and you you mentioned in your article how it gets into a pink floyd space i think they referenced set the controls for the heart of the sun specifically yeah it's it, it it's possible um i i haven't listened back since that night but i remember and i just i really like the variety of jamming showed over the course of the set you know while there was a lot of bliss jamming and carini and mr completely there was more dark stuff in 1999 and in steam you know we had that more psychedelic feel to it amazing Mm -hmm. amazing and now we're kind of settling into the into the run at this point we're we're looking at stuff and we're saying okay you know we're, we're seeing things that are being jammed out a little bit more there's a little bit of a pattern that's starting to build and in still, terms of stuff and, and they're then, still doing the references though and then and then the snow right 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 powder yeah two yeah. snow references in each uh, no quarter and steam mm-hmm. exactly exactly and so you know it, and and then anticipation now personally speaking the anticipation is at all time peak because my wife at this point has just unveiled that we're going to be going Friday Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> And uh, yeah, yeah. So Wednesday night, I was I was excited, but man, you know. Well, one more thing for the hardcores, uh, for the fishnet people. At about the eleven minute mark of the Carini jam, there is a distinct, a subtle but distinct reference to the Yardbirds' shapes of things, and it comes from Trey. So I'd like to see that added to your to your little set list. And by the way, Scott, I think you agree with this because I've listened to other interviews of your. They, they, they do. They've added this little headphone thing on fishnet, and those are. 
pretty damn well chosen. Would you not agree? Oh, yeah. I definitely agree. I definitely think that they do a great job with the jam charts and with picking what the highlights are worthy of the headphones. And that's if you, if folks that are not fish.net people, if you go to fish.net, look at the set list, there's little headphones right by some of the choice cuts. And can you, and then if you click on the name of the song next to the headphones, it'll give you a brief description of what that, uh, why it is deserving. And even if they don't have headphones, you sometimes can hover over some of them and there'll still be a little description about, about something. So, yeah, they're really, really putting in a lot of stuff. And if you're still confused and you want more insight, you can call Scotty B at. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, talk to me about Character Zero because I, I don't, you know, when, when they're on tour and and there are, you know, recordings and you go to listen to the night before, that's a song that you tend to skip. But now I listen to this one and they got really quiet with the jam and then it and then built from there rather than tearing right through now to what extent is that common is that something you you could see them uh doing more and then there's even a stretch in this one where they let gordon again get given angel some wings i i feel like these are baker's dozen versions of these songs you know they're playing these songs once maybe twice maybe three times in the year of 2017 i think it brings extra emphasis and meaning to every time they play they started something knowing that hey this could be the last character zero we play until the new year's run if there is one you know and uh i i i i agree there was a lot of patience shown they uh you know had it all fade down into nothing before ripping it back up to a peak um while rare i do feel like i've heard that before with zero i thought maybe even here in atlanta the last time they played lakewood no am i mistaken were they they, that that is one of the uh tricks in their bags but i thought it was more emphasized this time okay okay go ahead seth and then comes Shabbos, Shabbos, Friday, uh, July, 28th, July 28th, 2017, the night the chocolate rained, which they definitely got their ass handed to them singing Chocolate Rain. I got a kick out of it. I think um, it was the- funny, but they but I'm telling you, my, you, my take was, on it, let's my take on Seth it was, was there, folks. Seth was in attendance. My take on it, though, is they did Chocolate Rain, which was cute and funny. And they, but I, I feel like Fishman was like, oh, my God, I can't. You, you know, I bet he was probably like, oh, we're not sure about this. And they did it. And then he's like, yeah, ass handed and just just called it out and just jumped right into ass handed. That's my well, feel. Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Well, you know, they, they had the acapella mic set up for Chocolate right. Rain. So Fishman stayed at the acapella mic to sing the beginning of Ass Handed before he went behind the kit to play the 30-second instrumental part of the right. song. Yeah. So I feel like that was kind of planned out um, uh, in advance to take advantage of having the acapella mic out there. You don't think that he was kind of like, yeah, we just got our ass handed to us? And we're good about it, and we're able to we're able just to laugh at this off. You know, we gave it to you guys. <laughs> good, let's go. That, I mean, it's possible that's what he thought before the set, but I, I have a feeling those that was planned that mm-hmm. they would have the acapella mic out there so that when he would start as ended, he wouldn't have to go back to the kit and sing it. That he would just and sing how, it at the acapella mic. Well, well you're probably people, right, Scotty. The one reason I think Seth may be onto something is that the whole existence of the song "As Handed" may be to just whip it out there when something strange happens. That's the only thing I'm thinking. Although, <laughs> right. you're, although you're probably right, though. 
Can can you also say they're lean? Even though the song's written by Tay Zunday and performed, and I actually uh, tweeted a really cool version that he did. The band was doing this lean right move at certain points of it that um, is an acknowledgement to some video that some kids did or something. Do you know the well, story? You, did you talk about the YouTube? No, we're talking. Yeah, but the, there's a YouTube that they are referencing by doing that move to yeah, the right. Yeah, this, this mm-hmm. the guy that that's the whole thing. Well, the Tayson yeah. I saw, he's at a piano and playing it just himself. That's the one I saw. No, no Tayson Day, in order to get like the vocals that he gets, has to like lean away from the mic. Oh. So they were just replicating the original viral video from 2007. And how many people you really think got that on the spot there? <laughs> you know, I wonder about that. I feel like a lot of people, it was a Friday night. I'm sure there were a lot of people that weren't huge fish fans that were there. And I'm sure they may have identified with that more than any other part of the show. <laughs> and the night before they had done a, the show before they had done a Fleet Fox cover, which got them all sorts of coverage uh-huh. on Pitchfork and Stereo Gum. And this got them coverage on like viral video sites. So at that point, I was thinking, like, how much you know coverage of crazy uh you know a- a- outside of our normal range can we get <laughs> and the first set uh pretty standard until sand and there's so much in the second set let's go to sand unless seth you, go ahead way i always love way i'm not dogging way yeah there's it, lots of rare stuff there keep it here, I mean. let, yeah but, well, hold on hold on hold on hold on ahead, a second. let's ahead. let's just let's let's you want to call it elephant in the room whatever you want to call it rob <laughs> <laughs> We've gone from these like short, you know, sets to not short. Sh- he means small, uh, small sets, yeah, small amount of songs. To you know, we're kind of dropping them here. Boom, 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 yeah, boom. Yeah, it's like they're representing the whole fan base. They're, they're, they're tonight, the people who are more song oriented of us get, so, get service. So, so the first set was was kind of like I mean that night. The night was great, but the first set definitely had that kind of we're giving you guys here you go, here you go, take it, take it. We're going to give you guys some stuff. And then we get into the second set, and. No, let Scotty talk about sand first. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. that a pretty good sand, Scotty? Yeah. It definitely, and was uh, the highlight of the set, certainly on the improvisational level, um, and definitely went a few interesting places, and, uh, you know, I'd been getting used to more straightforward sands of late, and I was glad to see them blow that one out in, in particular. The reason Seth's excited is because the second set has the the highlight of his little of his little trip, a musical highlight, anyways. Well, to me, that that cho- oh, you know, have mercy is fun, but chalk dust, chalk dust. I found myself similar to what we were hearing about Lawn Boy, asking the folks around me, "Are we still in chalk dust?" And I experienced the chalk dust, you know, at Deer Creek several several years ago. Was that two thousand? And this to me was up up there with that it was just an incredible chalk dust that they just they they extended out the and it was it was just they were listening to each other so well they didn't step on each other at all during the song and it just was moving i thought it was the best uh top three if not the best jam of the run um i i just thought they it what was interesting is they didn't co- go out of the jam where they normally do do um instead they almost finished the song completely and then trey was like i'm not done yet right, and right, right. took it in a completely different direction <laughs> whereas past jammed out um chalked us have come out uh instead of the the final riff and um Great so they were it, right they were really excited to to dive in 
and it, it was just it's a masterpiece um it's a master class in tones and in patience and um these hallmark one of the signature jams styles of the run were these blissful changing from minor key to major key and this time they did it multiple times they would mm-hmm. you know be Episodes. dark and evil one minute and then blissful the one minute and dark and evil the next minute emphasis and, on them listening to each other and then i yes. feel that this though this is also where uh, for me being there i can say that i felt kuroda as such a part of the band this is he was real. he was he was dialed into the to the jam i felt I fully agree. I fully agree. before we move on off the cuff question scotty okay of all the jams you saw in these 13 nights which one do you think is most likely that holly bowling will uh <laughs> play on piano the lawn boy the lawn boy you think she would go through that whole thing though a lot of the I dynamics think so i i think that's her thing is to pick the more 
the ones that the fish fans flip about the most. And even though both Seth and I agree it's probably Chalk Dust is the best, I think people are talking most about Lawn Boy. Um, or did I say Chalk Dust? Yeah, Chalk Dust we thought was best. But Lawn Boy, I think, is going to be the one that um you know that that she goes for first but uh hopefully she doesn't hear this so we we get know, her but... honest answer on this plus i'm an old man and we're gonna talk about you sexy thing next i don't want to uh, come off as creepy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you know here i am of my wife celebrating uh well her birthday coming up of mine and and yeah, yeah i heard they... a rumor that fish waited till amy was there before oh, they played true? yeah but they... oh my god but they nailed it and the thing is that this became the theme for the weekend because as you're walking around the streets of new york around madison square garden of course you hear you sex a thing for the rest of the night for the red no not the night the weekend <laughs> sunday still and that's the thing about fish you know they just they they, they get in your they get in your blood I, I i'm glad you brought that up because i had a number of moments where I would just start singing something I saw the previous night, but nothing quite as catchy as you sexy thing. And then when they went back into it after Mercury, the crowd just <sighs> exploded. Yeah. And Mike really nailed the vocals oh, yeah. on that, which are not easy. If I may, Ben Greenfield did your piece that night. The band right. then returned to the night's theme with Mike Gordon hitting some of the high notes of Hot Chocolate's 1975 hit, You Sexy Thing. Mike's vocals weren't the only things that stretched in the song, which enjoyed an extended space funk jam led by some exquisite effects-laden bass over guitarist Trey Anastasio's ethereal loops. Way to go, Ben. Yes. And all our friends were happy to hear backwards down the number line. No, you see, you know, and we're going to talk, and I love Trey to death. Do you do? And, and I, love do that, you do I love that they try to mix things up and do different things. Yeah. But there are just time the backwards down the number line should be a first set song. I don't think it was. It wasn't. Come on. It wasn't a bad placement. Has for there that. ever been a time? And there have been nice jams out of it. But has there ever been a time where they started that and it lifted the energy in a room? Yes, I'll tell you when. When oh, you're come on. you're at your bachelor party and you're around your bunch of guy friends that you've known for your life and you're singing all my friends. No, that's yes. your first set song. <laughs> no, it doesn't Scott, matter. First set song. Uh, I, I I agree in as much as. Uh, there's never that it, you never get a reaction from the crowd from that song, but you always do when it ends. And it's kind of the same thing as character zero. You know, it's like when you get to the end of it and you look around and everyone is rocking out as Trey hits the peak, you know, how could you deny that? <laughs> Well, but yes, if you're I Rob, you're in the bathroom line, the apparently. Or, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going frontwards down the bathroom line. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they did the we? same kind of thing with rock and roll was the same. They went real quick through rock and roll and got back to the same like tray shredding moments that we had just seen a few minutes earlier with the end of backwards down the number line. But can I tell you something, Scott? No, you, no you can't. We're moving on. Rob. Have you ever heard of oh. the have you ever heard of the expression chasing the dragon? Yes, in regards to heroin. <laughs> sure. And heroin also Velvet Underground song. But I, I feel that way with rock and roll because the first time Fish played that song, it was sick. And I feel like every time I've seen them play that since, it just hasn't paled to it. It's like the dead with Mighty Quinn. Always, right, always right. chasing the dragon because the first version was so sick. Mm. Yeah, there have been like two or three great ones in the past 20 years, but that's about it. And feed another chocolate reference. Yeah. Lyric twist. And I hate feed. Too. Oh come on! <laughs> oh, he uses uh, the I, microphone. 
my God. I, I hadn't seen Fee in six years. Yeah, um, one of my first favorite fish songs. I was incredibly thrilled to see that. And I was also thrilled for Space Oddity because I had seen it two times the previous year. And, and um, it meant that I can uh, beat the crowd out of the uh, venue and <laughs> let them the f- all enjoy the beautiful version of Space Oddity. But they did it. They did it so well. Uh, again, Kuroda crushed it on that. Oh, um, yeah. Yes, he, absolutely. But after the chocolate rain to come back and it was to me what they were doing with space oddity that night was <laughs> so yeah you know <laughs> chocolate rain that was just a parody that was just a joke guys well this is this is what we do and they nailed right. it and they did it so eloquently elegant or eloquent it seems like you uh, mashed them up what do you want for mcgee no the I'm, mashups? Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh drinking some vino and i think i slurred a little bit rob oh, no. is that a problem it's degenerating <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a whiner. My name is Seth Weiner. The ladies call me Wiener, I know, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Short. Oh! So the next one was a theme that Amy called when she gave uh, Seth the cupcakes to alert him that he was getting to go on this trip. Cinnamon was one of the cupcakes Amy gave them. Peter Parker Harrington was the jam-based writer who covered this. I want you to talk about I Am The Walrus, because, quite frankly, the first time they played it, it was terrible. But this version is really, really good. Maybe also another you had to be there to really get it, because I think Kuroda was such a part of this one. The end of it with the... Oh go ahead. God, talk yeah, talk Scotty, about how Scotty, Walrus, the, the lyric reference, how it built to the end, and uh, how they started throwing the other song stuff in. Go ahead, Dan. Right, yeah, that was Paige, was his superstar moment, um, throwing in samples of other songs. Like if it, They're still finding... Uh, stuff that Paige was playing that they're adding to the Fishnet set list. Like today, they added the very long fuse to um, to the to the set list for "I Am the Walrus." He basically Paige was just going through all the different samples from the chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house, and it sounded amazing. And I had not seen any of the previous fish "I Am a Walruses," and I was not impressed by them. And I thought this one was really good, and it was like I was there. When the first set ends and they haven't done anything to do with the theme, was there talk at all among the fans that the band itself was maybe tiring of the theme concept? Uh, th- definitely a little bit. It was weird. It just seemed th- there had been so many references the previous nights. Um, it was just odd that there was nothing that was worked in uh, to the first set. Or, or like some of us would kept looking at the uh, set list. And trying to figure out what's it spelled. Maybe it spelled something. You know, like we're going through it. And, and again, this is where fish gets in your fucking head and fucks with you. They're amazing yeah. like this. And, and, and to the point that when we got to the encore, I gave up. I was like, they're not going to do cinnamon, girl. They're not going to do anything cinnamon. It's done. They're just this. They're going to actually not do it. They're going to, they're just, you're going to change on us. And that's, that, they're masters of that. They get, they, they take you in one direction. And then all of a sudden you're looking and they're all the way over on the other side of the room laughing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to talk about Blaze on, but we're going to have Harrington's words on it first. And, and again, I want to point out. Uh, this is probably my favorite recent kind of good good time upbeat fish song uh, that's come out in the last decade or so. As far as that, not all all the new ones, but of the kind of like fun upbeat. You know what I mean? Uh, that this is all about glaze. I was quite, surprised they played Blaze on a night that wasn't Glaze. Quite frankly, if he's going to throw one of his recent upbeat songs in late in the second set, this one would be much <coughs> would much more serve that position than backwards. But anyways, here's what um. 
Harrington says, In its short history since debuting two years ago in the summer of 2015, Blazon has had exemplary performances at a pair of occasions at Dick's, Magnaball, and its second performance at Shoreline. Tonight's Madison Square Garden version instantly made the conversation of best ever moot. Crushing the fabled 20-minute mark that many use to signify a long jam, this Blazon had it all. Fire, butter, modulating jams, darkness, and light. I have two questions for you on this, Scotty. First question, do you find recent fans too dismissive of recent material so that they don't miss this, or am I out of line there? And secondly, um, is there sometimes too much of an emphasis on the length of the improv as opposed to just the quality of it? Um, definitely uh, there is on the length. I, I would definitely agree that, um, the 20 minute mark has become this, oh my God, it's 20 minutes when a lot of times the quality isn't there. And that's why, you know, we discussed, uh, some of uh, jam that I was talking about previously that scored high on both the quality and, and quantity parts. Cause it isn't just that it's long. It's how, how well they use that time. Um, and the first part of it, I, I find fans are dismissive of uh, songs that don't have much improv, A, or ballads, B. I mean, no one is giving Leaves any kind of shot. And I wonder if it was like that for Fast Enough for You in 1992 mm. uh, or Life true. Boy in 1994. No, it was. People did. Well, no, Life Boy never really got shot on. But Fast Enough for You did, did take a beating, definitely. Even though, I mean, people would have flipped if they would have played it that this wrong. Right, right. What was the most frequently played song that they didn't play? Was it Light? They no, they did play oh, Light. They did. What's they the most frequently play. played Fish song that was not performed at this run? I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. I, I was just looking at the other day. I should have written look. it uh, How about Ambient Jam coming out of Meat Stick? How rare is that? Is that another Baker's whoa, whoa, Dozen? Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. Go, sure. Alumni Blues. Oh, right. Alumni Blues. <laughs> Letter to Jimmy Page, Alumni Blues. Not only was it well done, here's my question. They went to they went to they went to Mike, you know, they kinda of, all the band members got to to play a little bit, you know. Where was where was CK five? Why didn't they give it to him for one? They should have given it to him. <laughs> yeah, give him a round. They, and I was expecting when they brought Light back solo. when they went back into alumni blues. I'm like, they're gonna give it to CK. They're gonna do it. They're gonna ah oh, fuck you, Meat Stick. And then Meat Stick was good, but right. I don't think it was the Meat Stick. Are you asking I mean, a question? Let him answer a question. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Um, I think I've seen them twice. Go to CK for a light solo, and both times it didn't end well. He was very unprepared for them to do that. <laughs> so perhaps that is the lesson learned. But one of those times being uh, on uh, a very famous show on July 25th, 1999, Deer Creek, um, when they were honoring his birthday. Um, and uh, I you know as much as i love alumni and um i the, the 38 seconds that is letter to jimmy page i think is one of the more brilliant instrumentals in rock and they absolutely nailed it and i was thrilled to see that something about I thought, that, go yeah, ahead go ahead no something about that reminds me that i am hydrogen might be that song that's the most played one that they didn't do it yes song. that that may that would make sense that would make sense and I thought Dirt was very well placed. Um, there was a lot of high energy stuff yeah. um, before it. It was a nice cool down. And then they hit Hood. And Hood, it, exactly. Uh, 
as we've said, like this was the Baker's dozen. Nothing was normal, and this they this was this is one of perhaps three hoods they're gonna play this whole year, mm-hmm. and it just you you uh, you felt that urgency in there. And as I another thing that I've ta- been talking about throughout this this conversation is these bliss jams that come out of dark major. Um, key songs like Carini. Well, this was the opposite. Right. This was Hood with the beautiful major key that they went dark on. Especially Page with minutes. that sci-fi weirdness, right? Yeah. Didn't he kind of lead him down yeah. the road? And again, that's that's his new synthesizers, which uh, is the biggest change to his sound since Fall '94 when he added a clavinet and uh, Rhodes piano to whoa, his uh, to his rig. You just said a you just said a mouthful. 20, yeah, I, that's the biggest change of Paige McConnell sound in 23 years. I, I think so. I mean, I think uh, other changes have been w- one synthesizer at a time. This, this were two very different synthesizers that were added to the rig. Um, and, uh, you know, he, I just, I feel like he's been changing his sound in s- very small increments over the past 23 years. Yeah, he went from Kermit and, to Kermit the Frog. This was a huge one, yeah. And then Cinnamon Girl Encore, nice. Well, but novelty. When they came out with the Cinnamon Girl, though, it. Mm. I mean, I don't know about you, Scotty. Were you, were you surprised at all at that moment, or were you like, of course? I mean, a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Fish is known for joking and for not playing the obvious. But then when they played Powderfinger a few nights earlier. I was like, they're going to do it. They're going to play Cinnamon Girl. So I was like, of course. But I had never seen the first two. So I was extremely psyched to see it, even though it wasn't the best version anyone's ever yeah, played. As much as, as much as I love Fish, outside of Albuquerque, the only time I've really liked a Neil Young cover that they've done. We didn't have an Albuquerque. Neil Young, I'm saying. I know, I'm just saying. The only time I've liked a cover of Fish, other than Albuquerque, which they do wonderfully, is when Neil Young was literally on stage right. with them. That's fair. And at that point, we did. We also didn't get a um, bittersweet, did we? Oh no, they haven't done no. that in ages. When was the last time? That would. Why, why would I you kind of hope for a bittersweet? Such a sweet, great though. little two-minute song. You would That's think so a, a jam band would huh. would would hold on to the little two-minute. That'd be like their Don't Ease Me also, In. It also but brings you back to that time. But not a little throwaway Don't Ease Me In. An actually meaningful version yeah. of what. Well, they, they, they yeah. brought Farmhouse back like that a couple years ago. Remember, they had Farmhouse. But now they stretch on Farmhouse, right? Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, they, they played it last summer once. Um, and I didn't even know it's that. It's become, become very rare. And uh, yeah, it's only been played three times since maybe they returned in Hampton. Maybe on purpose. Maybe they maybe they shelf things for a reason. I believe they wrote that after a, a show that I'll talk about later when we talk about Isabella. Because and ha- I feel halfway, like- halfway, halfway, real quick, there was a show in Pittsburgh once, Scott, and halfway between Pittsburgh and Erie, there was... A nightmare of a traffic jam on the way to the next show, putting us through hell. Okay. Put us through hell. And I think the song was written that night. But go ahead, Scotty. I just, I think what's interesting is that the, the, the band, and specifically Trey, looked at their catalog in a way that he probably never had before getting ready for this run. And I do wonder if the songs that didn't make the cut, if it doesn't say something for them and that um, it, it's not going to be 
very soon that, that we get to hear them. Or it could be the other way. It could now be the other way. Dicks, gonna... they play everything that they didn't play. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, who, and that's the beauty. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Expect the unexpected. All right, Scotty. This is the night we're really going to need your expertise. Oh, my God, do I have questions. The Jimmy's night. Right. As we're getting into Jimmy's, though, now, if, if, if you were still questioning it, you know going into this night, no repeats. And yeah. Ben Greenfield, who I uh, is a great writer, I disagree with uh, his uh, description at the beginning of this show. Though um, he says, uh, "Fish please the crowd from note one." I don't, I don't agree. I thought curtain with curtain with was a mess, but uh, I don't. I, I wouldn't say it was really a mess. At the end, it was nice. The beginning of it was was, it, well, it was just, not as it, bad as Pebbles. But, it was, but I it think was a, that hurts you a lot more on a webcast or on a re-listen than in person. Oh, sure. Let me let me make one thing clear. When when we're talking about any of this stuff, okay, is that anytime we're analyzing the music, we are not discounting anybody's opinion who is at the show. I think when you talk about the Disney stuff, Scotty, that's the ultimate example. The Disney? The Disney songs. Uh, the, the Very Long Fuse, Your Pet Cat, and all that stuff. If you're at the show, they're great. If you were there the first time they did it, I'm sure it was amazing. Oh, yeah. But when you're listening, they sound like dismissible vamps sometimes, you know? But if you're there, those that, that's the kind of thing. You have to be there. Right. So I'm not... Anytime we criticize something, it's in... First of all, it's in, compar- it's in comparison to other fish stuff. So, so just the fact that we're interested <laughs> is a tribute to fish. We're not slagging the band. We're not slagging anybody's experience. Which I... Well, hey, Scott, are you still there? <laughs> We're on show eight, the Jimmy's night, which I was surprised that that didn't, thought, that didn't create the anticipation that the jam filled, given the significance of, of the Jimmy and the fish uh, over. Right, but I was thinking over. Jimmy's New York City, Jimmy. I was thinking like, you know, Kramer and like, you know, Seinfeld, but, you know, again, the Jimmy's. Except there's no Jimmy's on Seinfeld. Let's let Scott talk. Well, there is Jimmy. Of course, Jimmy, the guy who refers to himself in the uh, first person. Thank Jimmy. you, Scotty. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I thought people were particularly excited. It was the second biggest um, excitement level after Jam Filled. I mean, I hadn't seen Harpoa between 1997 and that night. 217 shows. Are you wow. serious? Yes, I, I kept on missing them by one night, and um, I it just after Cinnamon Girl, it was like they're not going to shy away from doing the obvious. So Jimmy's obviously means Jimmy. Of course, when they went into Forbin's Mockingbird, I thought that that would they were pranking us, mm-hmm. and because there's no two narrations in one show, so I thought they were leading everyone to believe they were going to play Harpoo, but we're really going to play. Four minutes it's a mockingbird, but thankfully we got both. Can I get some fish fan cred? The last two times they did Harpoo and Colonel Forb in the same show, I was there. Yeah. One was here yeah. In, one was here in Atlanta, and the other was at Matthews Arena in, in uh, Boston. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. The New Year's show where Brad uh, Sands dressed up as the Mockingbird. Yeah, that was the night that I clicked in. I had seen a bunch of fish. Because I'd seen him, the... but that that night was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. That was an amazing show. And WBCN broadcast it, and then they rebroadcast it the next day. I made a, I made cassette recordings of all three sets, and and, <laughs> he and still has them. And no, I had these friends who walked me through every song. So then, not only to have these great recordings, but I knew that I started to get. What the? It wasn't just a band I saw. It was like I knew Haley's Comet. I knew you. And, well, I always knew you enjoy. But I started to learn all the other stuff. But now going into this though, 
we're also kind of looking at it like, are we going to get Gamehenge? Are we going to get a straight-up Gamehenge? But then no, everything's but already, already done but, some but, of it, right? Uh, that's where I was getting to. Okay, there, but there's, you already had these pieces that were done. So this kind of made it for a, a very unique musical night to bring in Harpua and, and Colonel Forbins. Yeah, especially after Drowned and a song I heard the ocean sing start the second set, which, um, you know, a song I heard the ocean sing is by far the most atonal thing they played the whole run. I mean, they're the fish fans that go for that type of stuff, who go for the uh, dissonance and the spaciness and the absolute weirdness were flipping and deservedly so over the uh, a song I heard the ocean sing and drown was no slouch either and then they follow that up with uh, the craziness of, of Harpua and uh, you know it was really cool to be in the audience and as people were starting to realize hey they're reading from scripts and yeah you know I trying like that to element. well it sounds forced yeah but there's this moment though where you're in the audience and it's that kind of like third is that outer sense and this is the thing and I, and again I, i'm speaking for myself here but I, I i shared this with other people and they they have similar experiences where during that kind of moment you're you're look you're having this like relationship with the band where you're kind of like looking at them and you feel like they're looking at you and you know they're not looking at you and then you look around and there's got this energy and you and you kind of feel as though you have to sometimes say to your in your head like not everybody's in on this it's I'm in a show. And so like that kind of experience happens kind of where things get so quiet and so so just um intimate. Can we uh throw some uh some uh boots on and get into a little fish minutia? Okay. When um when he's doing uh Colonel Forbin and he's talking about uh Jimmy and but he's reading from Squirming Coil, which is a song that's not actually part of the Game Henge saga when the when the band does the whole game hench thing? Although they've often done squirming coil in cl- close proximity, it's not technically a part of the game hench theme yet. Trey read lyrics from squirming coil here. First of all, does that is that a stamp that squirming coil is indeed a part of game hench? And secondly, is he talking about the Jimmy here? Is, the Jimmy here is he talking about the Jimmy and Harpua, or is he talking about the Jimmy and squirming coil, or are they one and the same? I think they're two different characters. Um, I believe. Tom Marshall wrote the lyrics to uh, Squirming Coil, and Trey wrote the lyrics to Harpua. So I think they're two different people, but I think uh, Trey was just using the narration between Forbins and Mockingbird as a point to work in the Squirming Coil lyrics, which referenced Jimmy since they had already played Squirming Coil. And I think it was just another chance to throw a Jimmy reference in there. I, I don't think Squirming Coil is part of the Game Henge saga. I, I think mostly the Game Henge saga is the stuff that made Trey's uh, thesis and a couple of of later songs like punch you in the eye and um llama that specifically reference um characters in, in the saga okay all right Tell that's the- my take pammy scratch that cnn piece i was wrong i was wrong don't do it <laughs> okay moving on no no i can't move on you know how much we paid for that piece <clears throat> <laughs> can i read what um i have ben greenfield's thoughts on drowned and then i have jesse jarno's thoughts on ocean Okay. Greenfield said the second set opening drown dove directly into deep improvis- improvisatory waters. The jam's first movement found a psychedelic space. 
As John Fishman's persistent rolling beat provided a foundation for Page's spacey synth work and Trey's atmospheric loops. The pace increased as Trey turned on his boomerang for a tripped-out major key bliss jam. He stole your bliss jam thing. Is that is that a thing around the office if someone starts using the other yeah, person? Yeah, that's called someone doing a blister. Yeah, what is that? Bliss jam, that's Scotty's thing. <laughs> he busted a blister. It's really well written. Just don't steal Scotty's lines, man. <laughs> I'm more butter jam. Oh, butter jam. That is, that is all you. And then Jarno on Ocean, which Jesse Jarno is extremely critical, and he gets crap for that. But here's the summation. When Jesse Jarno's raving about something, it's usually pretty fucking good, people. Yeah. And when he's not, it's usually da- pretty darn bad, like Vegas 04. Uh, you know, he's a true New Yorker. With yes. little of the goofy funk that makes Fish so unpalatable to non-noodle dancer types, 2004 is a song I heard at the Ocean Sing unwound into one of the most inventive jams of the residency. From a curling Anastasio so- solo and a warm bed of Paige McConnell's roads, the improvisation expanded quickly into a four-person dialogue, each player moving between rhythm and lead in an easily discernible but unpredictable musical conversation that followed little of their usual tension and release dynamics not that there's anything wrong with those dynamics but anyways uh featuring a rare tonally ambiguous jam it was a dark swirl one of several deep space excursions during the baker's dozen do we run the risk of future fish shows being a disappointment in comparison to this run i i worry about that i feel like it's like big cypress all over again where do you go from here i think it's good they've got a few weeks before dicks and that dicks is only three shows all signs are pointing towards msg for four nights um and then we'll see what happens after that but how do you go back from these themes it was so exciting to start pondering how themes would work in each night and uh it's just uh gonna be weird going back to normal fish shows if any if any band out there could uh could do that it's these guys that's the thing about them like that they really raise the bar but at the same time you know they'll 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 go in a different direction to do something else and and grab our attention elsewhere and i can't emphasize enough that fish fans are always saying oh our band's the only band that can do this our band's the only band that can do that and i'm always giving them hell but this run you you might have the only band that can, i've heard i've could. i've heard more artists that we've you know you've, you just look on facebook and you see artists that are just marveling know, are gawing on them what was the electric kazoo thing Mike played toward the end briefly of uh, Ocean? Do you know? You just talked to him. You must have asked him about that. No? He picked I up, picked uh, up that I weird don't... thing. It was like... I, no, that... that his was, drill? His drill, yeah. That, oh, okay. That was his drill bit. <laughs> he just... Yeah, he's got... Yeah, exactly. He's, he's got a drill that he usually uses on uh, Wingsuit, but will occasionally throw into other jams. I'm surprised he doesn't use an electric screwdriver sometimes to just say, screw it! <laughs> is lumps in the cosmic gravy a zappa reference uh those everything that was said in harpua came from a 2003 uh new york times article about the world really being a donut that was all a those, true article yeah. all, every, everything that they that was said on those scripts was from a a, a new york times article and that was one of the that the lines the lumps the cosmic gravy Wow, that's fucked up. Uh, and one other thing, I, I don't think it's been noticed uh, or mentioned enough how appropriate in the good old summertime is was to do because it's a Tin Pan Alley song, and those were publishers who 
over, just over 100 years ago, dominated the music scene, and they operated out of a section of New York called Tin Pan Alley, which was just blocks from the Madison Square Garden. Is that not correct, Scotty? That's definitely correct. And uh, they had played it once earlier in the summer in uh, Chicago, and hopefully that one sticks around. I like it. And we move on to the Maple theme, show nine, August 1. You still with us, Scotty? You doing okay? We're on yeah. Jerry's birthday. He just did 13 nights. I was talking to my buddy Joey, by the way, who's... What's more exhausting, us or 13 nights? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. Scotty, my buddy Joey Lichter... Uh, He's, oh, he's on his way right now to he, with um, to go to Scotland or no Switzerland. Anyway, Europe, and uh, he's he's doing a triathlon, but it's like this crazy long one where it's thirty miles this way and thirty miles on everything. And and, and the point is, I think the Baker's dozen was more trying than. than and my, uh, it, it just yeah. By uh, night, by this point, are you starting to feel like a warrior? I mean, it was tough working and doing these fish shows. I I will tell you, but um, I'm I'm I can't complain. I I'm a 15 minute subway ride away from the venue. Um, I only went out one night of after the shows just because I was trying to save it all for for the shows themselves. And, was it hard to get uh, excited about stuff at work? Like, you know, you're in the middle of the legendary fish run and Twitter wants you to write about their new video or something? <laughs> well, the excitement from fish carried over to everything else that I did. So thankfully, um, that wasn't an issue. Um, and it was cool to see, as uh, Seth mentioned, other musicians getting very excited about fish. All right, so the Maple Night, which I accurately tweeted to the the Canada thing, but I later, I guess a lot of other people did too, wasn't that? I gave you an A on that one. I just love hockey. I was hoping there would be a hockey reference. But... <laughs> what are your thoughts on crowd control? To what extent is that an actual crowd message, control? A message to the fans? I think it's a huge message to the fans. I think it uh, reminds me of when the dead put out that letter. Um, uh, was it 94, 95? Oh, I know exactly what it was. It was some, it, something's got to give one thing or another, one way or another. Something's yep. got to give. Yeah. And I feel like it was the fish version of that. And it was really um, foreshadowing what would come just a few months later when the band decided to break up. Excellent comparison. That's exactly very similar. Definitely. Uh, let's see. We got the maple leaf. We got the old Canada thing at the beginning. We got the maple leaf rag in the middle of. Uh, I always say Guela, but it's not Guela, right? It's a Gula papyrus, I believe. I've been saying Guela since for freaking twenty five years. I, I think uh, last year or two years ago, I finally moved from Guela to saying it correctly. I always just call it Gula papyrus. <laughs> Uh, what are your highlights of this night? We get a big golden age. We've got like the maybe the best swept away steep ever. Yes. Uh, we got a crazy jam out of forty six days, which led into Piper, which you identified as your favorite type one jam of the run. Which type one, at the risk of being oversimplistic, type one is improvisation within structure, whereas type two is improvisation completely outside of the structure of any song. Is that is that too simple or is that correct? No, I think that's correct. And just for the first four minutes of Piper, Trey would just drop one incredible riff after another that just had my jaw on the floor the whole time. And um, Swept Away Steep hadn't been played since 2012 and was never known for 
being a song that the band used as an improvisational springboard and on that night they sure as hell did and brought it to some interesting places some of which were reminiscent of the a song i heard the ocean sing a few nights earlier so i, I really like that. that that was the set with leaves correct yes and you, you could definitely feel the uh, energy in the crowd give out when that song began. You know, as I said, Fish fans just haven't given that song any kind of chance whatsoever. And, uh, you know, w- w- what if that fans would have done that with stuff like Stella Blue and Standing on the Moon? So I wish Fish oh, fans were a little. They did more. a little with Standing at first. They okay. did a little. Not like Eternity or Easy Answers or Picasso Moon, which took a complete beating. All three of them, which if you really break them down, are actually interesting songs. And Easy Answers and Eternity weren't introduced to the band until they had become a lazy band. But uh, don't get me off on the dead. Okay, sorry. <laughs> he, has, he has another <laughs> podcast for that, <laughs> which I, I hear you're a guest oh, no. uh, right after this, right? <laughs> yeah, 46 Days was another highlight. Um, another Baker's Dozen version of a song where they finished it and then kind of decided they wanted to take another run at the jam. You said the Baker's Dozen kind. So at this point, really, it has become... You know, like you like you were just earlier saying, Rob, there's a you know, the 2.0, the 3.0. Baker's Dozen becomes its own point oh. It becomes the dozen, the Baker's Dozen, right? Uh, pretty much. I mean, we'll see what happens after this. We'll see if this kind of playing is the norm moving forward. Uh, but I, I just feel like 75% of the songs they played during the run had its own special feel to it. As far as a general sense, not only... I feel like not only are they jamming more, but Trey's more willing to not have to be the point man more. Is that is that accurate? It's a great point. And because Trey was ripcording a lot and uh, in, in previous years explain, since the band return that. at Hampton. Explain. And by ripcord, ripcord, I mean he would, they'd be in the middle of an adventurous jam section and he would out of nowhere just start the next song. And fans would consider that a ripcord, as in, you know, pulling the the, the parachute. Um, and there was not much of that at all. And uh, Trey, instead of pulling the ripcord, would start playing rhythm <laughs> and let his uh, bandmates do the heavy lifting. Much better. Much better. We've been working on the ripcord here in our show. <clears throat> Thanks for still listening, folks. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's Good move on. Luck. To- Good luck. Go Good ahead. luck learning about the last four. <laughs> well, the next one started with one of, my, one of my favorite covers of the run, and which also makes begs the question why they did Cold Water, another Tom Waits song about six or seven years ago. Never did it again. Now they do this Tom Waits song beautifully again. Is this one going to fall by the wayside too? What is their reticence about like uh, keeping on doing these Tom Waits songs that they seem to do just fine? <clears throat> I mean, we're, we're kind of real small sample set here with just True, two. Right, right. Um, and we'll see what happens with Way Down the Hole. I do have a feeling these thematic covers aren't going to catch on. I mean, hell, it's been tough enough getting Halloween covers to catch on. Um, but it remains to be seen. Well, besides the, uh, the <laughs> original the album in, in 2013 and 2014, that's a different situation than cover albums. Yeah. Always room um, for vamps at a fish show. Yeah. And on Halloween, vampires. And uh, so 
we'll see if that catches on. But it was just so perfect with the line about uh, when you go into the garden. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I really liked Hall's Nights in terms of uh, how they uh, honored the theme. Cool. There's plenty to talk about this night. Um, Scotty, you wrote this review, too. You first uh, gave a shout-out to Kuroda for his transition efforts, by the way, in this piece. Do you remember that? Yes, yes. Just As I talked about earlier, it just blows my mind how we went from one rig to a completely different one and didn't miss a beat and has to, just like the band members, learn changes for 237 different songs that yeah. get played once That's a in, really a, good in point. a year. And that he's playing like you know he's he's playing three seconds ahead of the band, uh, right? Know, so, how, yeah, that that's that shows you again that not just the band did their homework, but he did. And that the, the, the how many bands come out at this level and do their homework? You know, it's it's incredible. I, I can't imagine how many days and hours that Chris must have put in to relearning the songs and creating all those looks and learning how to run the the moving trusses. For a fish show. And we have a double reference during I Didn't Know. When Trey says uh, the more holes thing, he's referencing not only the theme of that night, but the harpoo from the night before. Is that not correct? Definitely. Definitely. And waiting all night, they nailed. Go ahead, Seth. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. Say- I said I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that's the thing here in Atlanta. I was, you know, it's, I, I made a joke once where I was like, you know, as a married man, my favorite, my favorite fish song. Everyone's like, what? I go, waiting all night. I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to understand, Scotty, there are like hundreds of people who, when that line in that song comes, they, they think of sex <laughs> because of that one night. <laughs> it was a thing. Uh, and can you now we move on to the second set and we, we get to the whole Mike's thing, which we touched on in the Fishman interview just before he got pulled away from us. Uh, I, I'd like you to explain who Drew Hits is and all about the Mike's second jam. Did you listen? To, we, we brought it up with Fishman and you heard that, right? Yes. And then we played the uh, well, the first attempt at the second jam, which wasn't much. They were more successful at MSG. But ex- explain the second jam of Mike's and uh, to what extent you thought it was it was successful at uh, at this show. So Mike's from the time it was debuted in 1985 until 1992 was pretty much played the same way. In 1993, they added a second jam section to the song, the key of F, um, which they would often transition into simple using. And some of the more beautiful Mike's jams came out of the second jam. And they continued doing it through uh, their hiatus. Uh, fairly regularly and then it just disappeared out of nowhere and um drew hits uh got to talk to trey uh before the nashville show in 2015 and he not only trey didn't know what he was talking about but trey uh, drew was ready with the recording (laughs) and kind of explained it to him and showed him and that night, they brought back the uh, second jam, and they did it again the next time they played Mike's at Alpine Valley a few nights later. And then once again, it disappeared. Drew hits his first show of the Baker's Dozen on that Holes night, and we Boom. get a, a, one of the three longest Mike songs of all time, in part because <laughs> they did for the third time in uh 15 years they or 17 years they did a second jam 
Any idea how he got backstage at Nashville to tell Trey that? Yes, um, Drew is a very talented tuba player and was in the band that played with the orchestra that played with Trey um, in Nashville ah. when Trey was doing his symphonic oh, yeah. tour at the Rhyme. And this is pre-Petrichor uh, symphonic. Correct. Tour. Yeah. Correct. So he became friends with Don Hart, who does a lot of the orchestral arrangements. And lives in Nashville, so Na- so um, Don Hart brought Drew as a guest backstage at that Nashville show in 2015. I love it. I love it so much. And he got tickets from Patty. <laughs> <laughs> and they managed to make Oh Holy Night haunting. Well, right. hold on a second. What is that? What is that song not haunting? Are you kidding? Me? Come on, it's holy. Normally, Fish made me reevaluate things. <clears throat> <laughs> what did you think about that? I mean, that, this was the night I bought the uh, the webcast because I can't buy. <laughs> I can't buy like, food. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, I'm very short. The guy lives off of uh, and I have bad luck. Wits. And I have bad luck with the replays on these things, so I I only buy them when I know I can clear a night because often you don't get the replays that you think you're gonna get. So, but this night I did, and oh my god, that stretch at, from Mike's to uh, Oh Holy Night, and then I've got to tell you, Scotty, I'm not a big guy to throw out the best of, just but a big guy. But just a big guy. But for almost just literally a week shy of 20 years, my favorite version of Taste has been 8997. It came out of Ghosts in the middle of a first set at Alpine. It's ridiculous. And it never gets talked about. It's not on any best of. I don't think it has headphones on fish.net, but I love it. But this taste is the sick, is the definitive, definitive version of the song now. It clearly is. They uh, released the Pro Shot version of it on Fish's YouTube channel today. And when I wrote about it for the post sharing that, I pretty much said the same thing it was double the length of any prior taste and the quality was there and unlike any other taste in their history and again a baker's dozen version of taste you want to hear what exactly what you said (laughs) sure (laughs) wait we should no can we do a trivia can you give him like one version and another (laughs) one which is is you do you know you When, what did the, one thing I didn't say about the jam film night, though, just to go back to that real quick, because they, <laughs> they often say an audience is a mirror of, of the artist, you know, the ugliest part being the spring and summer 95 of the dead as the audience deteriorated as the Jerry was. But with Fish, it seemed like after that jam film night, when they brought their best, it seemed like these writers all brought their best in describing it. It was well, really, creativity. From, from, my, from my down here Atlanta perspective, it was like a beautiful, beautiful moment. Creativity that, draws, great, drives yeah. creativity. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It doesn't draw it, it drives it. Here's what you said. Wednesday's take saw the band modulate between keys multiple times in a way they've never had during Taste. The must-hear version featured bombastic drumming from Fishman, glorious fills from McConnell, driving bass lines from Gordon, and varied leads and rhythmic work from Anastasio. Forty minutes into the set, Fish had played just two songs, along with an extremely short a cappella number, and there was little noodling. The Vermonters made nearly every note count over the course of the A Taste of Oh Holy Mics. <laughs> Sounds about right. Can I read your book when you can I do the book on tape? <laughs> How about that taste? Sick. Anything else from this show? Uh, week of Pog, you know, they, they were really running out of time and I thought they were going to race through it. And it was a, a, a normal, good version of it. Um, 
And so that was nice. And apparently there was no bass solo, which I didn't r- realize at the time. Okay. But they played the bass solo as part of the final encore. I have a question. What if they had gone into, like Worcester, New Year's? What if they had started ripping into the Down With Disease and Coda? Would that have been a repeat? Yes, because they did that the night that they played Down With Disease when they reprised uh, the end of... They had already finished Down With Disease. So yeah, I would say that would have been a repeat. But they didn't. (laughs) Moving on. In a different key. Yes, we're going to move on to a different key. Uh, August 4th, I had a really weird moment. I was driving to see Tinsley Ellis, and the show, this show started, and I popped it on on my uh, thing and heard... Tape deck? How did you pop it on your tape deck, Rob? (laughs) No, I had my little uh, magic phone box. And um, they opened with See That My Grave Kept Clean, and then I walk in to see Tinsley Ellis, and he's playing the same song. No. Yes. (laughs) Was he on stream and, like, improving? No. I got to tell you, though, Tinsley's version was better. A lot better. Yeah, I mean, I think they just played it because of the blind Lemon jo- Jefferson is the guy who popularized it. Yep. Sometimes it you gotta really- say a pun if it's dirty. I love that they did it. Yeah. A one kind favor, I think. They is- punch you in the eye right after? It's sometimes called one kind favor. Right? Huh. I thought maybe it's because they literally punched you in the eye right after. So where, yes. were, you- where were you sitting this night? Hope you like this. Where were you sitting this night, Scotty? Um, I believe I was... Uh, the same place in the lowest page, but maybe 20 rows back. Can I ask you a question? Well, I'm going to ask you a question. So can, <laughs> can I, I ask you? A, I know. I said, that's kind of the yeah, point of the entire I, thing. So. I know. I know. I um, can I ask you a question? <laughs> <laughs> so, Scotty, let's take a moment away from the user for a second. And we, we, we talked about the seats you had in the beginning, um, this, the, those, the best seats you had in the house. But did you, a, did you get a good opportunity to really see the show from several different viewpoints, from behind the stage to the sides of the stage? And did you notice a big difference in the sound as you moved? I, I did and definitely did notice this. And uh, oddly, the sound was the best behind the stage. Interesting. Um, they got to give you something extra. It's the bonus I, seats. I, I, it, the, the speaker stack was pointed directly at me. That certainly helped. Um, and there was some reverb when you were on side stage that you would hear bouncing the bass sometimes or, or Fish's hi-hat bouncing off the back walls. We've heard a lot about Kuroda's lights as you face the stage, but when you're behind the stage, it's more about how the lights go over the crowd. Which, how, yeah. How does the light show from... Do you see this? Are you seeing that the show from the backs of the, the, the yeah, stage? Yeah, the light shows a whole different thing. But you're kind of seeing it the way the band sees the, the room. What so then it? all of a sudden you realize, yeah. like, they can see well, the t- crowd. Let him tell us. Yeah. And it's great people watching because you get to see the looks of joy on people's faces when the lights go all <laughs> over the crowd and you're looking right at them. But are they? Because I remember with the dead, I remember particularly the Terrapin Encore at Nassau. I was backstage, and they were throwing like stars and all crazy designs over the crowd that you didn't even notice, except from backstage. Does Kuroda do that at all? Does he? Definitely. Sometimes he he will use patterns and, and stuff like that. He he more he more moves like the he moves like uh, steam, you know, or or a haze in a way by the palettes. So back to the music. Yeah, we have this second set. We have two more examples of, of new songs that are newer songs that are wonderful jam vehicles. No Man in No Man's Land and Everything in Its Right Place. 
Scotty, you must love these two. I loved No Man in No Man's Land. I was very disappointed. I was very, very, very excited to hear everything in its right place when they started it. I was very disappointed with how it turned out. Um, I knew because it was the first time they had ever covered Radiohead that it would be get a lot of attention. And um, I don't know why they had Fishman sing it. I don't know Trey. why they didn't have Trey play guitar during it at all i don't know why they didn't focus on the incredible groove that that song has and i have a lot of family members that are big radiohead fans and i kind of knew i would be taking some shit for it and in fact my brother-in-law was angry and felt that fish was making fun of radiohead by having fishman sing it why don't you play him Humphreys mcgee doing national anthem that might cheer him up Right. Well, I'm sure he would certainly like that. <laughs> now, what's the use? Is there any chance that that's titled that because it's a really quiet, quiet song, and sometimes when they play it, people, mm. the fans talk over, and it's like, hey, what's the use? It's, a, it's even... a stretchy one, but but keep in mind, some of the best ones ever been were at the uh, the uh, the racetrack. Oh, the Dicks? No, no, no. The Glen Glen Falls. Oh. No, are you talking Watkins Glen? Watkins Glen. I say Glen Falls. Yeah. Yes. Excuse yeah, me. that's one song that I like better outside. Um, but in answer to your first question, it was recorded out of a studio jam um, in uh, for the Sicket disc that came out in 1999, oh, yeah. and that version had lyrics. So they had that reference that had a chorus of "What's the use?" Can you sing so that? I, Can you sing that? <laughs> no, um, but I think that's an example that I don't think they called it that because the live reaction to it was bad. I think it was born out of the studio before there was ever a chance to play it live, and I thought that was a particularly patient and delicate version of it. Again. Baker's Dozen style and had that come out of a good everything in its right place uh, I would have felt a whole lot better about Lemon Night. Speaking of Baker's Dozen style, the sense and subtle sounds that they released seems to be another example of maybe Kuroda having an influence on the song becoming more than maybe the band had initially thought. Did you feel that that was the case? Definitely. It seemed like he his lights were so kind of out there that it wouldn't have made sense for them to end the song. And perhaps that, that pushed them to extend it longer than they usually did. Cool. And uh, I, was just, I was just wondering how many people are listening to this that have been like paused and went back and like listened to like the shows. Just about everybody. And, and went back and, you know, like listen to what Scotty just said, goes back to the shows, comes back and like goes to the next chapter, you know, the next song kind of. I wonder how many people are doing that. But if you're doing that, thank you. <laughs> That's not a bad way to do it. Next show starts with the cover song that Fish has previously played that I've never seen that I would most want to see. You always mention the donut before the song. Yeah, go ahead. What's the donut this night? Well, we're talking Boston oh, Green. Oh, Boston Green. Come on. Okay, oh, come on. You're from Boston. You're, you're wearing a Red Sox hat. You can't even know Boston Green. <laughs> <laughs> this is the controversial one. This is when they... They ripped off uh, Humphreys McGee. Oh, no, wait. They thought about it first, though. Hey, they, thought of, they were You're thinking about it, Seth. Rob Turner Radio on Humphreys McGee Channel on It's X funny. Jesse Jarno, both his articles Rob. made the point. that I, Oh, no, they've been talking about this for years, man. Get that right in the second paragraph. <laughs> uh, Scott, are you still there? Soul Shakedown Party, wonderful cover. 
very sets of festive vibe, right? Yes, it always does. Definitely. Because even casual people can love the feeling of that song, and the more hardcores appreciate how rare it is, so it's a great opener. Typically, though, it, it's a calling for a good time. It's like the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, just first, uh, the song just before... I'm, I'm very delicate. I have delicate sensibilities. The song before the mashup... Um, what was it called? Oh, fuck this, your face? Yeah, that's more appropriate for Seth to say that. Or is it called <laughs> Fuck Your Face? It's New York. Says he fuck your face. Like in Miami, it's fuck your face. In New what? York, it's fuck your face. When he talks about the um, I the the person who did the photography cover for, art. Yeah, wh- wh- what are they referencing there? Um. I would imagine the person who did the cover art for Sucking in the 70s, but it's one of Mike's first songs that he ever wrote. Um, They played it like three times in 1986 and 1987, and then it disappeared until uh, 2010. Um, And it's been played more now than it ever was when they first wrote it. So it is a real throwback, but I don't know the inside story behind the lyrics. Too bad. I, by the way, I was there in Charlotte when they when they brought it back in the middle of a crazy second set. Fuck your face. That's what, right. If you, uh, is that 2010, Scott? 2010, yes. Check out that July Charlotte show. July 3rd, I believe. Yeah. Because yeah. usually Atlanta gets the better shows, but there oh. are a couple years where Charlotte, there, there was another year where they did like a jam of one song in the middle of another song. They did like a hood jam in the middle of some. I don't know, I forget. Inverted. Uh, okay. What else? Uh, when you interviewed, first of all, the Jarno interview, he, um, the recent one, he talks about Trey choosing Frost to follow up the mashup on the spot. And then in your interview, you talk about Plasma with Trey. Um, can you talk about each? Do you think Frost was a good follow-up for that? And that clearly was off the... I mean, he says in the interview that Frost came out of nowhere. He just whispered it to Paige. Paige said yes. I think Plasma is one of the best Trey songs to find a home in the Fish repertoire since the days of First Tube and Sand. Um, I think it just sounds great when Fish plays it. Um, and it sounds like they they almost wrote it. Um, Frost is fine and fair, fair enough. Um, it's a little too delicate for my tastes um but uh it was interesting that it came out of nowhere but i found the placement of the medley to be bizarre why in the middle of the first set i mean if you would have swapped joy with that medley i think people would have left that venue feeling a whole lot differently like i just thought it was definitely one of the more intense crazy everyone going fucking nuts moments of the run was the medley and it was just weird that they used it in the middle of a first set do you ever and f- then encore with joy do you ever feel the that only yeah no, no go ahead the only what it was the only encore that wasn't a, a real in terms of song selection high energy and or rarities and or covers but the deepest reference to donut yet because who doesn't get joy after eating a boston cream man I don't, I don't like donuts. <laughs> donuts are disgusting but now your point is very valid do you feel ever that fish is detached from the very scene that I, I know they've gone way, way, way beyond it, of course, now. But the jam scene did kind of help give them their initial boost. And that when they're doing, like, okay covers of Radiohead and 
kind of good mashups that if they were more dialed in with their scene, they would know that there's another band doing that and that they would avoid those areas. Like, they should probably avoid Is there an elephant Tool. in the room, Rob? Hold on. They should avoid Tool. They should avoid Nine Inch Nails. There's another band that covers those, and maybe Is we don't need to hear the, the biggest room, band. Rob? Is it ever... Do you feel like it's like if the dead did While My Guitar Gently Weeps in 95? All right, there's if an they elephant, did like Rob. an okay version, <laughs> the dead did like an okay version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps in 95, wouldn't that sound like, uh, you know what I'm saying, Scott? I know what you're saying. I hope that stuff doesn't play in. I would hate that if Umphreys didn't cover a song because Fish had covered it. Oh, or you got to be kidding me. Of course, of course they don't. Absolutely. You know? uh, I'm sure they don't, but um, I wish they would, you know? Um and I, I, I don't think uh, Fish was probably very aware of the Humphreys mashup thing. And uh, if, if they were, I'm glad that it didn't stop them from proceeding with their plan. Although, to be perfectly frank and honest, I certainly would have much preferred more than a feeling in Sunshine of Your Love than that medley. Of course. From this band... Okay, but right, hang on exactly. now. Let's just let's just also look at the fact that you're getting down to the end here. Yeah. How do you? First of all, the band's probably tired. And the yep. fans, what what is it? The well, fans, when you walk in for the thirteenth night. Hey, how are you doing, dude? Dude, I've been. You, I've been last going, week. You were, you you had no hair. I've been going to shows for thirty five years, dude. I've seen a lot of crazy shit. I see a hundred shows a year, probably. I don't know. I've never walked into the 13th night of a 13th night run. I, I bet like I the, never do. You would think it would look like The Walking Dead is what you're trying to say. What is that like? I feel, I thought it was going to be people were going to be zombies. And it wasn't like that. People were very excited. People were, it was bittersweet um, that it was over. I, I, I had a lot of talks with people who were like, oh, if they were playing four more nights, I'd be there. I'm sure they would have felt differently had there been actual four more nights ahead. But um, we, oh. everyone had kind of gotten used to it and it settled into their patterns and routines. And It became um, a routine. 13 becomes a routine. Yeah. That's why That's why they add the extra one. It's not a dozen. It's a baker's dozen. A baker's got a routine. you got to have a routine. Exactly. Is, exactly. Is fish so... Is this yeah. at the point now where the fact that they're being broadcast has zero impact on what or how or what they choose to play or how they play or, or their approach at all? I don't think it, in my opinion, I don't really think it ever did, perhaps, except for something like Farm Aid or, um, mm. but, but since they started doing live fish webcasts, I don't. I don't think it, it, it plays into what song the season's tray makes. Um, and I think that that continues to be borne out by the fact that there have been good, bad, and ugly shows that have been web- webcast and great shows. It's not them that looks at them like that, Rob. Should I tell my personal moment that I had this night? Because I hustled home from work to listen to this show. But I popped on the Sirius app, and it had been left on the dead channel from that Bela Fleck Jerry thing I'd been listening to earlier in the day. And I pop it on, and literally, it's freaking weird counting off bird song at that red rocks jerry thing so i had to listen to the bird song dark star bird song and then i go and fish opens with dog stole things and what's my dog's name birdie so i was freaked out <laughs> and then i sat there and listened to this whole show in in the undis- undisclosed location at points in the dark and i had a great time uh, 
you know, most I love Vita Blue, and I'm so glad they did most events that aren't planned. I love that, and that was way better than the Radiohead cover. Most events aren't planned. It was killer, and that that make that the new Halfway to the Moon. Make that the song we hear every four or five shows. I would definitely agree with that, and that was that along with End of Session was one of the biggest surprises in terms of originals or side project originals. Did you see in the interview how Trey said there were eight side project things they worked up that they didn't even do? Yeah. And I wonder if he's counting the ones like Corona and Marissa that got played played um, earlier in the run. That would um, still leave but, five. Yeah, that would. But I, I might be missing one or two. I'm always thinking Mike Gordon band songs. There's so many Mike Gordon band songs that would mm-hmm. work. Sure. Like crazy songs yeah, no- sounded really good on the last night. But, you know, the band doesn't want to play the mic tunes. Does the resurgence of Isabella indicate that the band does indeed have balls again? <laughs> I saw something today on Facebook that I, you know, uh, I, it could have been Photoshopped, but I really don't think it was where um, Bella Anastasio, Trey's youngest daughter, wrote earlier that day on Facebook, if they don't play... Uh, if they don't play Isabella tonight, I'm in the market for another father. Nice! <laughs> and I know she was at a bunch of shows, and um, a lot of her friends are now into fish. And, uh, you know, I called it the curse of Trey's daughters. You, He named his daughters Eliza, a song that Fish stopped playing in 1990, <laughs> and Isabella, a song Fish stopped playing in 1998. So I was really glad that the curse of trey's daughter's names is is now officially over and i thought they absolutely nailed isabella mm-hmm. maybe on the, he'll name his next kid backwards <laughs> that would be great <laughs> <laughs> or zero <laughs> <laughs> now here we are in this show though we're getting into the show it's the last night and i don't know everyone's got a song in their head like i'm i got dog log in my head like are they gonna are they gonna emerge dog log and i'm glad they didn't because that's such a song for the right moment that they didn't have to use it and but at the same time you know they could have sure and uh you know that's the crazy part they played 13 shows with no repeats and many other songs uh over the course of the first five nights and they're still pro- could have done maybe one more show where that's, it wouldn't have been ridiculous. Um, that's about right. And but, yeah. So uh, they have quite a repertoire. But they owned up to it. And the thing about that last night, though, as the show progresses, you stop thinking about the song you have in your head that they may have not played. You, this, everything kind of flows away because they have this way of just bringing in the emotion and then and then the bliss that you talk about, they, they achieve without having to even get there. But there's a criticism elephant in the room here, Seth. I already did the elephant three times. Come on. So can I do a lazy elephant? No. <laughs> <laughs> When you're on the 13th night of a 13th night run and you're coming out of a big jam of the second set to begin the second set with beautiful improvisation and you have people there anticipating the last night of this run is not the time to break out a ballad that's clearly not even completed yet. No, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. That was ridiculous. Um, but then they got right back to it with Yem, right? Star, that, no, Starman. We got that. Yeah. That was sweet. That was nice. Which, that, by the way, that, that, was, that means we got four Bowie songs this yeah, run. Yeah, yeah. Right. Beautiful. And Beautiful. that was one of my requests on my wish list. So I was glad I got to hear 
Rock and Roll Suicide and uh, Moon Age Daydream and uh, Starman and what would the fourth that Space be? Oddity. Well, he only heard part of that. That's why. He oh, that's him. right. He left. He left. He you heard of it. Scotty and the Wind. <laughs> the wind no, that's Scotty. actually not on Ziggy Stardust. Oh, really? So I think it was only well, three for, Ziggy I, Stardust. I was thinking more just Bowie and general. So really, along, Fish but. did a repeat, and Scott didn't see the entire run. But oh. that's just me being <laughs> right. a dick. <laughs> so you enjoy myself. Which, by the way, Scott, when I was first seeing the band way back, I loved all their material, but if they didn't play "You Enjoy," it was it was a letdown. I, I would always want to hear that your, song. You didn't hit your pleasure zone, Rob. That was the one. That was the one that really first. I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" But they this brought is everything. Ridiculous. But they brought when they got into the jam, the the depth of the jam, and then where they flow it out with with their vocal jam. Their vocal jam brought in so many elements of all the shows. Or am I just hearing that? No, they definitely did. There were teasers of a lot of the covers that they played earlier. In the run, were they laughing during on the on the road again, or was that uh, emotion? Where, where, where I think it was emotion. Where I think were they you? Were crying. Where were you for this show? Um, I was a couple of sections over from Paige, probably about seven rows up, and I did not notice the emotion during um, on the road again. But I did watch uh, the, yeah. the webcast um, afterwards, and it was clear that Trey was crying right. and that Paige was crying. We okay. wa- I watched the webcast, and my wife looks at me, and they're singing on the road again. And she goes, I th- and she starts crying. I'm like, what? She goes, I, th- I think they're about to go on a hiatus. I'm like, after I have no. to admit, I'm like, that's- I'm like, look at her. I'm like, no, they're singing on the road again. You don't be like, on the road again. Bye, everybody. We'll never see you again. I'm not going to lie to you that a lot of times these bands a lot of things in retrospect down the road they're like what were we going to do next you often hear that we yeah, did this, that especially the police guys, these are scientists they're scientists you know they're never going to stop moving forward they'll be they'll be what was they, 04 to 09 about then opiates <laughs> <laughs> Which our government is finally going to do something about? Maybe I don't know. We'll see. At any rate, though, such an amazing run, Scotty. I, I, I don't know if, how much of last so week's on the road though. They close it out with on the road again. Yeah. And Jalon Boy, something other Reprise, than Jalon Boy. They played. Thank you. Name it something but different. But you're forgetting they also had the uh, they they also had the mics. Um, the we could pop bass solo. Yeah, but what, oh right, right, right. Which by the way, how come that's not on uh, Fish.net? I don't think have it as. Bass solo now? No, it just says on the road again. Lawn Boy reprise and Tweezer reprise. They also don't have the shapes of things reference in the Carini. But they do have these little headphones. And if you click you're the headphones, we talked about this. Rewind. Hey, fishnet, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> on on uh, live fish, they do break out. It says bass solo, which I imagine they just did so that no one could uh, bring up both pots. That that's all. Oh, that's a repeat. Um, oh, I thought <laughs> so. <laughs> what, is that on live fish that way as well? Did you pick up on that? You gave me shit. That was beautiful. Well, we love and, you, Scotty. And I, and, I hope and the and band that, realizes that people like you fuel the interest in the band and that you are of value to them as well as to us. I appreciate that. And uh, I had a great experience uh, listening to Mike's new album and hanging with him and hanging with Fish's management. And um, it's really great when the musicians and the people that surround themselves are as good as the music they make is. But, and they inspire us all, right? The creativity Absolutely. leads creativity. And if you're, if you're picking up Scotty on that, on that creativity, that's just awesome because 
that is you've done an amazing job with yourself as a journalist uh, moving your way into this industry and and in a in an industry where people often are snippy and bitchy and hateful about each other you have a very good reputation you have a lot of people who really like you as a person as well i appreciate that guys and uh you know i like to treat people the way that i want to be treated so i just i stand by that Words to live by. Words to live by. Well, th- we appreciate having you on the show. Uh, this has been a, this has been a fun show. I didn't know where it was going to go. To be honest with you, Rob, Rob, great job uh, thinking this, this through. Is me. This Scott- is all me, <laughs> Scotty. My idea. Well, listen, you know, it, it, it's it's not often I get to spend a night out talking about fish. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I actually have been immersing myself in this run, and and I love I love you, fish. But I'm going to take two three weeks away from you. I need space. I need space. And as Jesse Jarnow said, this is you know something that fish fans are going to be analyzing for decades to come and uh i too am excited to after this conversation and after a piece that i'm writing for tomorrow to take a few weeks off um and then get all excited about dicks again well before dicks don't forget we have you as a special guest for our next show we're going to be going into big cypress and going (laughs) (laughs) song by song here's the final thought you often joke scotty about the book you're going to write Let's, Write the fucking book. Let's let's make that not be a joke anymore. Okay. <laughs> it just needs time. You can't be writing books when Fish is doing these epic, you know, 13-night runs. Well, Rob. they're going to go to a bunch of states Scotty doesn't want to go to next year. So. <laughs> 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 bunch, of, bunch of states you wouldn't catch them dead in. Uh, I'm just kidding. Actually, if they do the Missing States tour, that, that would be the kind of thing that would pull me back. I love going uh, to the weird stuff. My wife's going to sell something on the lot instead of doing burritos. You're going to walk out of the, you know, at the Miss States, right? So she's going to be like, anyone want a mistake? <laughs> Scott, <laughs> Scott, can, she won't be selling food she'll be trying to sell me Scott you can hang up and walk away I can't <laughs> what are those states Idaho Montana Who the hell? Is that? Not Idaho. Idaho. it's uh, North Carolina South it's North Dakota, Not South North Dakota, Dakota. Arkansas Hawaii and Alaska Hawaii Alaska okay Oh, Arkansas, it, South Dakota North Dakota where are you going to play in Arkansas well, Arkansas I figured they would have done that Wakarusa site Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they've got the new Walmart um, amphitheater um, that that's certainly big enough for them to play in. Um, <laughs> and fish fans will love that Walmart amphitheater. <laughs> yeah. How was the show? I got I got trapped in aisle thirteen. I was looking at them tents, and it was so intense. <laughs> Corporate harpoon tray. Corporate harpoon. It's South uh, Dakota and North Dakota. I wonder. Can they about. play on the border? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Both. Maybe that's how they'll deal with it. No, you no, play. That's a great idea. You play Walmart Amphitheater. They'll ask you to play just enough hours so they don't have to pay the full price. Yeah, but apparently, yeah, exactly. apparently the shows are refundable. But you have to go see another. Right. <laughs> just do just do one and a half sets, fish, so we don't have to pay you benefits. Exactly. Uh, Scotty, just uh, let us know the address to send the check to. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And sorry you that got by, it. sorry that by the time we praised you, it was at a point in the podcast when everybody's turned off. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and hope folks uh, find me uh, at Jambase and on Yamblog. And uh, I appreciate uh, being on the show, guys. Thank you, Scotty. to keep 
For when my eyes were watching hers, they closed And I was still asleep For when my hand was holding hers She whispered words and I awoke And faintly bouncing round the room The echo of who never spoke And I awoke And faintly bouncing round the room I saw it was far beneath the surface of the sea My sight was poor, but I was sure The sirens sang their song for me They dance above me as I sink I see them through a crystal haze And hear their sweet sound bouncing round The never-ending choral maze The crystal haze And hear them bouncing round the room the never-ending choral maze Then before, now once more I'm bouncing round the room
you every night. 